last year for Halloween, it was um, me, San Rixian, and Shakespeare Thrones talking about witches. I decided to switch it up because it was actually supposed to be the night fort with me and Michael and San Rixian. That's but right. The witches thing was so good, and Shakes is awesome. So you guys got bumped. That's what happened. Yeah, and so, I know it's a, it's okay. It was worth it. I mean, I, I, see, I see you all the time. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, uh, just, but for for this year we're taking another journey into a very spooky kind of haunted full of zombies um hallucinogens weird pink little men of some sort and for some reason the phrase worrying on nipples that's right we're talking about the house of the undying tonight <laughs> thunder crash <laughs> <laughs> yeah trains dragging yeah good <laughs> Halloween sound effects CD. I, of course, am Matt, also known as Joe Magician. And tonight, I have an awesome costume for you. Yes, you do. So, obviously, I have a George R. R. Martin hat going on. I have a nice, full Kit Harrington. Um, you got your Jon Snow furs. I got my yeah. Jon Snow furs, which was called Warrior Furs. Oh, yeah. yeah right next to the Halloween, Dragon dude. Princess costume. <laughs> That's right. And Dagger. Nice. So... So this Halloween, what I'm dressed as is George R. R. Martin um, as the new as the uh, original prequel was announced, The Long Night, where, yes, I am definitely all about how stark. I love the others. This is going to be a great show. And then underneath, he's repping that Targ prop. Uh. <laughs> he was just waiting. He was just waiting for fire and blood. No turtle pen, unfortunately. That's right. Under under the furs, the the bitter Targaryen banner. I, yeah. Doesn't quite doesn't quite work. We know he's a Targaryen at heart. They're his favorite family. He wrote an entire book about them. All you got to know about the new prequel versus the last one is ain't no history of the Starks coming. That's right. That's so, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's a good costume. Yeah. Inventive. I wish I had turtle pins to put on it. Yeah. But, people are asking in the chat already where your turtle pin is. I, so hang on. <laughs> hang on next year that's right that's <laughs> like not. the next patreon tier yeah next patreon tier is turtles <laughs> and uh of course joining me is my maester monthly co-host michael aka bookshelf stud hello everyone i'm also uh this this record this stream i am a member of uh michael jordan's crack basketball team here to defeat the monstars that's right i'm uh <laughs> repping repping the tune squad the tune squad jersey um i'm here to to stop the the awful creatures from outer space uh from the moon wow that's very lovecraftian basketball meteors that they're shooting at us or whatever i don't i don't know i i don't really michael jordan wasn't very clear on what i'm doing today but he told me to be here Uh, this this live stream is actually sponsored by air jordans Uh, incorrect (laughs) that's incorrect (laughs) No, no coupon codes for you guys. That's right. (laughs) Um, Uh, Sorry. Yeah, this was actually suggested by my uh, by my Patreons as a I was like, I was thinking about doing a Halloween thing. What did they want to hear about? And they said House of the Undying. So it seemed like a good idea to me. I hadn't really I hadn't really thought about it in a long time. It's um, kind of Mm. a crazy, very short chapter, only like nine, ten pages or something like that in the crappy paperback version I have. and there is a lot more than I remember, especially because they cut it down for the show quite a lot. They re- yeah. they they changed the visions significantly. Uh, probably some of them for the best. Like some of those, I was like, 
what are you doing, Martin? <laughs> do not do these. Well, and you know, uh, yeah, it's it's really one of, I, of all of the book the places in the books where you see the gap between like how easy it is to write something crazy and how hard it is to film something crazy. Mm-hmm. Definitely the House of the Undying. That, that's up there. Yeah, I figured before we get started that uh, much like Daenerys entering it when Pyat Pri forces her, well, says you drink the the shade of the evening or you don't come in. Mm-hmm. So I have my own shade of the evening. Oh. My own blue drank. Blue drank. Blue Great. drank. It's Bacardi Hurricane. So this is going to be sugary. <laughs> yeah. Would you mind? Let's see. Can you pour a little bit of that yeah. into uh, into my cup here? Yeah, sure. Just here. It's right next to you. Uh, yeah. there just you there you go. Go, 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 go. A you little like a lower. Lot, right? Yeah, a lot. Right to the brim? There you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Right at your brim. Great. Woo. All right. Uh, should we, should we cheers at the, at oh, the yeah. screen in here? Cheers. Clink. <laughs> that totally works. Try again. Try again. Okay. Okay. And, uh, cheers. cheers. There we go. <laughs> to the shade of the evening. That's right. Oh, Robert's here. Uh, in deep geek. Anthony, hey. uh, John Webster, John. Dor- There's a lot of awesome. Yeah. There's it's a murderer's There's, row. There's a murderer's <laughs> row in this chat tonight. You guys are crushing it <laughs> to you. To the, are, are we to chugging it by the dying. way? Is that is that we're we're pounding this? Yeah, we're pounding this. Okay, all right, here we go. We gotta pound this. Knock it. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Now that I'm Sh- good and <laughs> up on blue drink. <laughs> yeah. Woo. Thanks Actually, for the the blue drink. Yeah, you're you're very welcome. I'm happy to share it because this is a giant bottle. Yeah, you, I don't want <laughs> all of it. You going big there. That'll be at con of Thrones 2020. <laughs> this is what they had. Um, oh, uh, a super chat here from Steven Stark patron as well. Uh, thank you very much, Steven. Really enjoyed last Halloween stream. Hopefully this yearly custom will become an annual tradition. I don't see why not. There's enough spooky things in a song of ice and fire that you could do a stream. Oh, how does it taste? It doesn't taste good. <laughs> in fact, hang on. Let yeah. me. Mine, mine kind of tasted like Drogo's seed. If I'm being honest, that was one of those parts where I was like, what do you, what is this? <laughs> With a little, a little dab of mother's milk. My, yeah. Let me get the whole. Yeah, please. You know what? This is actually a good place to start because it is, it is a very, um, it actually starts with the outside of the building, describing it, where it is, what's around it. And considering it's Karth, it's actually very, very strange, I would say. It's like, yeah. so Karth is in the middle of a desert, obviously, in, outside mm-hmm. the Redways. Oh, I got the quote here. So Danny raised the glass to her lips. The first sip tasted like ink and spoiled meat. Come back to that one. Foul. But when she swallowed, it seemed to come to life within her. She could feel tendrils spreading through her chest, like fingers of fire coiling around her heart. That sounds like whiskey. Yeah, actually, that that's that's kind of what it feels what it feels like. On her tongue was the taste of honey and anise and cream, like mother's milk and jogacy. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, baby. Like red meat and hot blood and molten gold. That's a hell of a drink. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, it's like the um, fuck. What's that drink from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? The, the uh, um, oh, I, the gargle blaster. Yeah, the pangalactic gargle blaster. <clears throat> That's right. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Got that one. Yeah. And um, oh, uh, super chat here from uh, Morally. Thank you very much, More. Uh, happy Halloween to all. You both look very handsome in your costumes. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
as in my germ regretting the <laughs> long night prequel costume. Yeah. Um, this is sort of going to be a running theme from our notes. And by the way, patrons, uh, if you go to Patreon right now or the Slack, the whole outline is there for you to follow along. But this is really, really creepily similar to what happens to Bran when he drinks the um, the weirwood paste, which nobody thinks is paste. It kind of tastes very, very similar. It's uh, it's kind of gross. And then it sort of makes him it, he tastes like things that remind him of home things that he really likes even though initially going like this is disgusting yeah for sure it's um the the sort of like all-encompassing senses attack right Mm -hmm. like it's it's just the the idea is it's overwhelming your senses i think it's really interesting too the things that i mean uh mother's milk and drogo's seed is worth a snicker but also it's like (laughs) you know it it does speak to the idea that this is some sort of very like primal natural Mm -hmm. thing that it's it's touching on it's not artificial necessary, or it, it's not like, I don't know. It's not described like drinking. That's not the taste of the drink. It probably tastes different to everybody. That's true. Whatever. That's true. Actually, that's a, that's a Harry Potter thing where it's like the uh, love <laughs> potion. It smells that's different right. to each person based on uh, that's right. what they like. And the same thing happens to Bran. Um, and then both of them basically go on drug trips. Nah, yeah, which which was great. But I, I wanted to start back a little bit and uh, go to the outside of the building. And George is being, I think, clever again, giving us a description of what it looks like and where it is. So it's a long, winding stone building, which he describes like a serpent mm. in amongst the trees. So almost like a snake in a grass kind of thing. And it but it's a snake with a human head because the. The front entrance, they don't actually go into. They go into the side entrance, which is a big gaping mouth, which reminds you of the Black Gate, obviously. Yep. So a lot of weirwood um, connections, stuff from the north that's weirdly in Carth. Uh, uh, Amanda, or Crowfood Sauter, has talked about this a lot, and I think she's right on rereading this a few times. That, like, yeah, this seems extremely similar to Bran's journey. For sure. Yeah. I mean, even the description of the the house is looking like a serpent, like the wall is also a snake that cuts across the mm-hmm. the the um, boundary between the north and the true north. Right. Like it's um, it's tall, but the house of the undying is almost like a mini wall in that sense, um, mm. which I mean, I, I, yeah, I feel like that raises weird. all sorts of interesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, speaking of the night fort from last year. Um, yeah. The black gate, the mouth, mm. the mouth entrance like it's it's these really similar things the black gate isn't the main entrance either no for the it's wall. The yeah right it's it's uh it's the food delivery entrance i guess it's <laughs> maybe <laughs> delivery entrance is what that is oh um and the other thing i thought that was really interesting so it's a serpent with a human face on it so that makes mm-hmm. it basically a valyrian sphinx right because that's oh. what they are they're dragons with uh, mm-hmm. human heads mm-hmm. so it uh, we're going to get to some of the questions I got from uh, Twitter and YouTube and patrons, but um, it seems very likely that the the Palace of Dust, as it's called, or the House of the Undying, probably built by dragon people, I would say. Mm. They built, oh, yeah. they built mm-hmm. a, a weird giant palace that's shaped like a snake that is like almost a statue of a Valyrian Sphinx. So, yeah, especially yeah. Because they, uh, they talk about how I'll teach you the, the secrets of the speech of dragon kind inside. So mm-hmm. clearly one of the undying thinks he's a dragon Lord. That's yeah, that's fair. I mean, you know, if you were uh conspiracy minded like myself, you might 
they say that this could be built by the great empire of the dawn or some sort of massive mm. dragon related, you know, overarching mm. hegemony, um, from a shy to old town. But yeah, very, cl- you're, you're right. That's, that's a good observation about the man headed snake that is the building. It's uh, it's certainly out of place for the rest of Karth and everyone else distrusts mm-hmm. the house of the undying. Yeah. I, I thought it was really interesting that, uh, so the chapter is about 10 pages. I would say the first two are everyone saying, Danny, don't do this. You're crazy. You do not go into this building. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And no one, no one trusts the warlocks at all. Everyone dislikes them. They, they have power in the city, but no one's like, Oh yeah, <laughs> my buddies, Pyat Pri at all. Like, yeah, no. It's it's a it's a really wary kind of trust, almost mm-hmm. like uh, it it brings to mind for me like um, how Veramir's six skins made himself into sort of a you know a, a magic monster king in the mm-hmm. in the True North for a while. How he was sure. like this shaman king, and everyone paid him homage and all that, but like didn't they weren't <laughs> they weren't waving six skin banners and going yeah we love Veramir <laughs> like same thing with the warlocks yeah um, it's a uh very much what you would expect from people with extreme power, what they would do to the rest of the, the area around them. Mm-hmm. Usually mm-hmm. it would lead to tyrants. And actually I pulled the quote for the description of Pyatt for you want to give it a shot in your best voice. Oh yeah. Is that, uh, is that in the doc right here? Yeah. Under Matt's random thoughts. Oh, great. I see it. Um, oh yeah. This is the one that Zaro is telling, uh, Danny about Pyatt pre, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Payat Pri has blue lips, and it is truly said that blue lips speak only lies. Heed the wisdom of one who loves you. Warlocks are bitter creatures who eat dust and drink of shadows. They will give you naught. They have naught to give. So. Yeah, that that's uh that is a big turn that <laughs> around. And also he does a creepy like step out from the tree and surprising everybody. Like he was just standing on the other side of a shade in the evening tree, just like sitting there going. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. what, that's what happens he goes like uh daenerys can only go in alone they're like where'd you come from yeah right yeah what the, what the was that, <laughs> Is that yeah. Pri? where did he come from <laughs> with his blue lips that's right that's right yeah i i mean yeah Pyat Pri, i think is i mean he's interesting obviously because he's the first of the three searchers to introduce himself to danny mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, all three of them have played a role continuing from there, but his role has, I think, been um, of a different type than the others. Quaith and Zaro have both popped up concretely mm-hmm. and, and you know, hologram <laughs> style, but Pre basically disappears and then like pops up again in the Forsaken after we hear all these things about him, which seems yeah. fitting for a warlock. Yeah. Um, He's a, he's got a long reputation, which is yeah. interesting because like when he's introduced, he's kind of, I mean, he looks a little weird, but he doesn't mm-hmm. present himself like apparently the powerful person in the world that he is. He just kind of yeah. looks like, honestly, like almost like a meth junkie. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, and it's speaking of the shade of the evening trees, this is mm-hmm. uh, something Crow Food's daughter has talked about a lot. And we had a question here uh, from my patron, Zombie Jesus. He says, um, <laughs> if there's still, it's always a great night. Yeah, I know. It gets me. If there's time. still time to get a question in for tonight, I'd like to know your thoughts on whether weirwoods need blood to grow slash live. If not, why do we get so many instances of sacrificing near them? And to tie us to House of the Undying, are there any references to the shade of the evening trees being treated similarly as an object to which you sacrifice lives to please them? And this, Amanda has 
I think really nailed it, that there is a very odd connection between Shade of the Evening Trees and Weirwoods that if they're not the same thing, just like gone wrong, then they're very, very close. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it It is interesting because we don't see explicitly in the text anything for what Zombie Jesus is talking about with, you know, explicit reference to sacrifices at the Shade of the Evening Trees, at the Black Barked <laughs> Trees. Um but it's definitely a template that George is showing us yes. with these magic trees that have like magic juice that makes you see the future and the past. So that when we see the weirwoods, we're like, oh, yeah, we've seen something like that before. So I feel like, yeah, that can work both ways where it may be it may well be that the black barked trees are themselves also fed by the heart of the house of the undying or something like that. There's hmm. a connection to them in the structure of the house, in the undying ones themselves, like whatever it is that the black bark trees aren't just, they're not just landscaping and they're like, Oh, these trees grow here. We should build like a weird cult palace and like drink the juice. Like that there's a more symbiotic relationship. And going to the, uh, the shade of the evening and the weirwood paste, they both taste like meat. They both taste like blood. Although Mm -hmm. the shade of the evening tastes foul. So uh, most people think the weirwood paste is actually, um, uh, Jojen. So that leads yeah. you to leads you to think the shade of the evening is also people, which would make sense. They there's a quote where uh, a lot a lot of people go into the house of the undying, not many come out. Well, where they go, maybe they're being turned in the shade of the evening, just like for Jojen pace. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. And since we know weirwoods do take blood, and if and if shade of the evening trees are pretty much the same thing, then yeah, I would expect so. Especially because kind of like weirwoods, they're growing. And thriving, it just like, but not, they shouldn't be. It's Karth. Like, nothing grows there. They have they have palm trees, and that's about it. It's a giant desert. And yet there's this amazing orchard of these weird-ass trees inside the walls. Okay. Yeah. So something's sustaining them. It's probably not, um, probably not good horticulture, I would say. <laughs> right. Right. It's not that they have, like, a green thumb. They've got a good gardening club in uh, in Karth <laughs> to keep those alive. I mean the 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 undying ones themselves do try to basically like vampire Danny yeah. before before Drogon saves her. So there's definitely an element of like literal blood sucking mm-hmm. from these people who draw their power from the trees. So I you know it it feels like maybe there's an intermediary step in there that we don't necessarily see with weirwoods like people mm-hmm. just give blood to weirwoods. Um but with the the shade of the evening trees we see people who like are connected to the trees drinking other people's blood. So, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe one step removed, but it's still there. A lot of people go into the, probably the house of the undying to become acolytes and instead become wine. I would say, oh, yeah, silent blue is people. Oh yeah, uh, in the chat, somebody's uh, wheezy squeeze box shade evening is silent green. Yeah, oh there we go. Oh yeah, a blue right. thumb. Oh yeah, this uh, sass k. Yep, you guys are on the same the same place. Um, there we go. Which also there makes it interesting thinking about Euron. We'll come back to him later, but the fact that I expect so. That he's just probably engaging in cannibalism. Mm. Anyway, so um, there, there's obviously a lot of connections to the Night Fort and also uh, Blood Raven's Cave, which we talked about last year. And also mm. there's quite a lot of, I would say, literary connections here that George mm. is calling on with both of them. Uh, we talked about The Shining last year a lot in <laughs> terms of the Night Fort is essentially like um, the, the Overlook Hotel. Mm-hmm. And I would say that the 
the Halcyon dying is very, very similar, especially the the walking past the rooms and seeing ghosts in there. How that happens to Wendy as she's running through. That's right. Yeah, it's yeah. They are such good friends. I would not be surprised if George literally just took the scene of her running through the overlook after Jack is going crazy and saying, OK, I'm going to yeah, right, that into right. my book. Yeah, that's definitely one of those like cultural milieu things that pops in there. And now George is going to use it because he's, uh, he's borrowing from everything. I, I definitely think. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I definitely see that now. It's the undying. Um, you know, for me, I, I think it evokes mostly like the really like the sword and sorcery kind of Robert E. Howard um, Conan story kind of thing, because mm-hmm. these wizards are very much Conan wizards. The undying. I mean, um, yeah, they are like these corrupt, old, gross people. Uh, who live in a tower and their magic is mysterious and the protagonist doesn't really need to like understand their magic to get that it's mysterious and bad. You Mm -hmm. know, it's not like Danny walks in and she's like, Oh, I see the blue heart is actually like, you know, connected to now she walks in and she's like, Oh, what the fuck? And then her dragon burns (laughs) it. Like (laughs) it's, um, so there is, I'm, I'm going to go very like deep lore nerd here. But I'm going to bring up my Red Sonia thing that I put in the document. Um, Red Sonia, here we go. In Savage Sword of Conan, issue 23 from 1977, um, there's a Red Sonia story called Wizards of the Black Sun. Um, And Red Sonia is kind of a Conan equivalent character. She was created by Robert E. Howard. Um, Probably best known for like the chainmail bikini aesthetic, Mm -hmm. which really has not aged well. Like this entire comic story that I'm I'm talking about is... uh, very much Leia in Jabba's palace, but like swinging a sword around and doing stuff. Um, but the basic plot of it is that she's like tricked into coming into this fairy city where a bunch of warlocks who are like all decrepit and skeletal um, uh, try to seal her away. And there's like a big magic floating disc with a skull on it that's going to drain her soul. And then she escapes by picking the correct door to leave through. Um thanks to like a, a riddle that a goat told her. That's literally the plot of the, the story. Um, but, it, I, you know, I'm not saying George read Savage Sword of Conan number 23 from 1977, although maybe he did, but it's a story that has a lot of relations to other Robert E. Howard stories and other like sword and sorcery mm-hmm. tropes. Um, and it's that kind of thing that I think is is popping back up here. It's George, you know, showing his love for the the classics of the genre. Um, and the stuff that he grew up on, like he's mm-hmm. talked about. Yeah. Right, George? I mean, you're sitting there in front of me wearing that hat. So, uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, I do love Robert E. Howard. That's my favorite <laughs> George impression. <laughs> I've actually read Robert E. Howard myself. Um, we'll yeah. do it. Yeah. A Howard I'm going to believe you that that's all true. And it sounds pretty <laughs> damn close. So I would be surprised if he didn't. He is a giant comic book nerd, too. Um, there's also definitely Lovecraft references in here. Mm. There's a lot of like weird amorphous things following danny around uh kind of kind of like horror tropes there's yeah. even there's a lot of rats in the walls sort of uh, ideas going on it's it's very much i would say especially the idea of the the protagonist just sort of seeing beyond the veil sort of which is what's happening here i mean he has it happen via uh, hallucinogens basically but um of people are reacting to my yeah <laughs> yeah um, the, the best impression ever that's um, right he has it he has it being hallucinogens but uh, uh lovecraft would have this being somebody like reading from the necronomicon or mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. or like chanting something for a while and then all these things start happening yeah. but it's or talking similar. to a person of color or whatever <laughs> <laughs> big lovecraft dig there um yeah that that, that wasn't uh, i am almost finished with the lovecraft book after like six months because it's so ponderous all right I'm almost yeah. there and yeah, I, I was seeing all the same tropes he uses over and over and over again. The mm-hmm. ancient old building full of ghosts and weirdness and like weird zombie things. Sometimes people hearing things that aren't there, things that don't make sense. It's like, yeah, this is, this is straight out of Lovecraft, the entire thing. Um, and also mm-hmm. interestingly, it's uh, parts of it are straight out of his own, his own stories in particular. Um, the, the, um, the shade of the evening is very, very similar in effect to uh, something that happens in night flyers. The, the psychic mm. on board fail. He drinks something or they give him a drug called Esperon. And what mm. it is in the story is it essentially takes whatever lingering psychic abilities you have and puts them through the roof. It's you become like, I don't even know, like professor X gone insane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Doing one of those. Yeah. Dale's head eventually ends up exploding after taking Esperon because it like, I don't even understand how that happened, but that seems to be what happens here. Um, Danny does get dragon dreams. Danny does have some kind of weird warging ish connection with her dragons. Mm -hmm. And then she takes shade of the evening and all of a sudden things go batshit insane for her. She, the, um, the thing she's seeing cannot be possible even within his world, like the geometry of what he's talking about is frankly, doesn't match anything we're being told. So either she's imagining it through like a weird psychic world, which seems to be what's happening, or he decided to make like true Cthulhu style geometry work in this. And I would say it's probably the drank. Yeah. Yeah. It's that purple drank she had. Um, (laughs) uh, speaking of dranks though, um, uh, JD E redhead mm-hmm. in chat um, did bring up something that I think is a good thing to mention, which was the a comparison to the wine of courage that the unsullied drink, mm. um, which isn't in the show. So I, I think it's, it's a, it's an important thing to talk about because it didn't make it in the show. It doesn't contain shade of the evening in it. It has nightshade, um, mm-hmm. which is in itself deadly. But um, I mean, just to kind of speak to that real quick, I think it's, uh, so it acts as like a numbing agent basically, right? Like it's, it's this like senses dulling thing that allows the unsullied to have their superpower ability to withstand pain. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, in the role of the story, I think it plays the same kind of role as the weirwood paste or the shade of the evening in that it's something uh, it's this magic potion that a person can drink that gives them access to power by shutting off certain parts of their brain. And like part, what I'm saying is that it involves shutting off access to like, mm-hmm certain vulnerable parts of your brain and opening up new possibilities by, you know, like that trope of use, yo, we only use 5% of our brains, but what if we used a hundred percent? It's, it's like that. I think with a lot of these beverages in his, in Martin's world, um, potions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny for a low fantasy series, we've got magic potions, we've got wizards, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of, are you summoning something, by the way? I noticed you had um, your summoning. You said lights. that like the uh-huh. wind rose and like shuddered against the house and the window creaked. <laughs> so 
Maybe you're getting a little bit too close to the truth, Michael. So, so you're telling me this live stream is going to become a live scream? <laughs> yeah, great. Oh uh, yeah, this live stream is going to get pretty crazy, George R. R. Martin here. Oh, jaded redhead without the A's. Uh, I'm, I'm so dumb. I get it now. <laughs> oh, I didn't get that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, anyway, I mean, that's kind of a tangent talking about the magic potions, but, um, yeah, it's, it is very much a tangent. It is something George loves. So it's interesting how it connects and just like, kind of like my, my last video where I was like explaining the magic sort of thing. It's like, what is shade of the evening? Mm-hmm. It's based, I would say it's basically just Esperon from night flyers. It's the right. same as the weirwood paste. All it does is essentially unlock your third eye by drinking it. Okay. Yeah. That's fair. That's that's all it has to do. We haven't even gotten into the house of the undying though. We're still that's in the true. antechamber. Yeah, let's let's kick it in the door. And oh, who's this? Who's this fellow? Um, just inside the door here. This this short fellow. This weird little guy. Uh, yeah, he's pink for some reason, and uh, he's wearing very nice robes, but he's very tiny, and he has he's essentially carrying a shade of the evening on like a weird plate above his head. Yeah. That was odd. Yeah. I, I now I mean I'm a I'm a big Twin Peaks guy. I got to think that on some level this is George mm. reacting to like the dancing the little dancing man from Twin Peaks. Um I definitely got that vibe. Uh just like especially because, you know, to take that seriously, like there's this idea of like the dweller on the threshold, right? Like the the kind of creature inhabiting a liminal space that like meets you as you're crossing from mm-hmm. one world to the next. And yeah, I mean, I I haven't done the research to be able to back this up, but I feel like the um, uh, the image of like the dwarf or fairy or whatever it is that's dwelling on that on that threshold that like welcomes you in or gives you something or or changes you in some way as you cross. Um, I, I think that's a I think that's a pretty common not common in the sense of boring, but common in the sense of like strong thematic tie to a lot of other works. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and to and to back that up, I just did a quick Google search, and a Clash of Kings came out nine years before Twin Peaks. Yeah, and I would say David Lynch is definitely right in Martin's wheelhouse in terms of weird shit he likes putting on screen. Uh, Nicole G says Twin Peaks. Lynch is the motherfucking boss. Yes, he is. Yeah, how is that popping up on the screen? By the way, that's cool. I can click cool. things. Apparently. Oh man, um, you that's are great. a magician. You are. But a yeah, magician. I, I would say definitely. Um, not only just the shining, but definitely twin peaks as Danny's walking down the halls and seeing weird visions and kind of not really going anywhere, but feels like she's been walking for hours. Yes. Like, uh, it happens to, um, to Cooper as mm-hmm. he walks through and actually does see ghosts as he's walking through it. Yep. Like, yeah. He Paul, sees all right? sorts of crazy shit. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure he actually has a vision of like a beautiful woman being ravaged on the floor, which is exactly one of Danny's. Visions. So like, I mean, you know, no one's calling George R. R. Martin a ripoff, but there's definitely these things that like float that just float his boat. And he's like interested <laughs> in them. And he's like, yeah, that's going to be in my story, too, in in its own way. Like, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's I, I would definitely consider like if I was to pick the perfect person to make a George R. R. Martin story into a TV show, I would probably choose David Lynch. Especially yeah. for the fantasy part. That would be cool as hell, actually. Him doing Bran, like um, Bran's visions and him going to to the cave and even doing that's the undying. I would think that would be amazing. Yeah, it actually would. And or even like a Cersei chapter, I feel like would be great with uh, with David mm-hmm. Lynch kind of <laughs> helming that. 
Um, there was, uh, uh, one of the, this wasn't really a question. Um, although I guess it, it I guess it was one of the ones from Twitter, um, mm-hmm. from Callie Kesh. Mm-hmm. Um, do you picture the dwarf that hands Danny the shade cup as Dobby from Harry Potter? Um, <laughs> That's kind of what I went to. I didn't really yeah. have another mental picture to pick, to choose from. I'm not really sure what George is referencing there. Um, it's probably from some story I've never read, I would guess. Cause it's, yeah, it's, right. it's a weirdly specific image of a, a warlock being, they, they almost seem like homunculuses or something like magical things made from nothing. Yeah, actually that's a really good, uh, connection there. Yeah. Uh, a magical servitor, a homunculus or something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Dobby for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Dobby. I, Dobby's I good bet name. if Danny had just given that dwarf a sock, the whole series, whole series would have been different. <laughs> she, he was, she was turned around, but like, I don't need the wisdom of the undying. That's right. That's right. That's fair. Uh, so I, this is one thing that, um, now that we're, we're inside the building, she, dr- she drains the, the shade the evening and she gets told this weird set of instructions. She gets told to take only the, the last door on the right that she comes across and only go up. Yeah. She comes to any sort of stairwell, which is strange because the house, the undying from the outside is kind of squiggly and one story. So Danny yeah. listens to that and sort of goes like, wait, mm-hmm. how many doors can there be? And then instantly after she drains the, the, the shade the evening, I would say she starts tripping immediately because either like I was saying, either the house, the undying house, the undying's geometry is impossible or this is all in her head because I, I wrote down, um, mm-hmm. the direction she took. Oh, good. When good. She went through there. Um, Oh wait, where did I write these down? He didn't write it down folks. No, it's in my notebook. It's a, it's a tragic. Um, she goes through, uh, three, she goes, she goes to three rooms with four doors each. So, that's a lot of doors. That's a lot of passages. And even assuming that all those other doors are fake, that there's only one passage you can take. Let's say that's true. Mm-hmm. If you go into a room with you go to the right. Okay. You end up in the next room, go to the right and the next room, go to the right. She should be back in the entrance hall. Instead, she's in a completely different room, a weird stone room that she's never seen before. And if all those are real, then it gets to, um, basically uh what's it called ah i forgot the name of it it's uh it's a thing where where things branch out into trees um like fractals fractals yeah okay yeah (laughs) if you take that map and you extend it out it's essentially a giant fractal tree of possibilities that you can go down especially as she gets to the the second set of uh rooms she goes to where she goes to i think six rooms Mm -hmm. with like with four doors each each of those possibilities, if you just keep multiplying them out, it makes the house and the undying impossibly big. It could not be that big. It would take up the like the entire space of Essos to have all those kind of passages. Yeah. Um, right. So what I actually thought of was I wonder if George had ever been had ever heard of the Winchester Mystery House. You ever heard of it? Okay. This? Yeah, I I actually have. I've listened to a like murder mystery podcast about it. Um not that it's a murder mystery house, but yeah, it's a cool one, right? It's it's a weird one. So it's made, it was built by um, the heir to the Winchester fortune, the Winchester rifle fortune. Achoo. And 
she became convinced by a psychic that everyone killed by her family's rifles would um would haunt her for the rest of her life and in response to that she built a house upon this guy's instructions which i don't know how, what the instructions are for building a house that uh that ghosts can't go into but apparently he had the blueprint for it and it's this it's this crazy house with uh st- with a store with uh doors and stairways that go to nowhere false doors everywhere like mirrors and windows and places they shouldn't be essentially to Mm -hmm. try and trick spirits into becoming trapped in a maze basically that's the idea behind it and you can go through the winchester mystery house and you will get lost in about half a second yeah for sure that's what what this is that's what the house the undying is absolutely yeah it's i mean it uh almost brings to mind like the idea of the maze makers of lorath or something Mm. like these these constructions that you know, if you were building it to be used by humans, you wouldn't build it this way and you wouldn't design like there's some otherworldly purpose at yeah. work. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great comparison, um, especially the trapping thing. I mean, it, it yeah. does feel like, you know, we've we've talked about how the undying have these vampiric qualities and, you know, bring people in and they're never seen again. Like, you know it's a classic like fantasy riddle type thing like oh then then they get trapped forever in the house of the undying and they open one door and it just leads them to like a gigantic like mashing blade mm-hmm. or something that turns them into swiss cheese like yeah it, it's it definitely to kidnap a, them yes and like they just get lost in the house of the undying even if it's not as bizarre as danny tripping balls thinks it is it's probably still pretty complicated because on our way yeah. out like all the doors disappear Right. So something strange happened there. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think definitely if it's most likely trapped, maybe for the ghost, because there seem to be actual ghosts inside, but also pro- the pipe pre talks about servitors and dwellers. So what are dwellers? Yeah. Yeah. What are the dwellers of the house? Of the oh. undying? Cause she doesn't come across anybody, but ghosts and the servants. That's right. Um, but it's very creepy to hear that. Uh, yeah. Oh, there might be a Gru lurking in the darkness. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such an odd, odd thing. This idea of like the creatures who live in the house of the undying. One of them's a worm, apparently, which actually uh, made me think of Dune a little bit. Like, doesn't that happens to one of the emperors? They essentially turn into a worm, right? Yeah, that's what Leto Atreides the second or something is. I a uh, quick Google it jogs something yeah. in my memory. <laughs> he becomes a gigantic worm. Is basically yeah. the plot of the story. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, but I mean, there is, a, I think there is, you know, a good comparison to be made there by people who have read Dune more thoroughly. Yes, uh, than more than I. myself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't really know. That. Um, so I, let's just start talking about Danny's journey through it. Let's do it. So the first one she comes across is probably the most troubling one. And this is probably intentional by George just really to throw us off and be like, this is going to get really messed up really fast and it's yep. the image of unfortunately a beautiful naked woman laying on a floor in basically an empty room with four of those weird servant guys basically raping her yeah that's i think ravishing is the word ravishing used, is the term, like you know when, we we know what that means yeah um it's yeah i i, I think it's the perfect first vision. Cause like you said, and and that, that was a good observation that like 
it um it kind of lets you know what you're in for mm. <laughs> in the house of the undying you're like oh, this is where you oh so this is what we're doing <laughs> um, but also it is um a, a decipherable metaphor like you yes. can look at that and be like oh there's four kings ravaging westeros oh, i get it like yeah, it's yeah. it's um yeah it, it's a wonderful first vision because yeah, it, it it sets the tone super well for everything that is to come, both in terms of like how you can interpret these visions and, uh, you know, the tone. That's an amazing uh, comment, by the way, the H.A. Oh, yes, Tones uh, Murder House. The uh, super chat here from Vampress99 reminds him of the H.A. Tones Murder House. So nobody's ever heard of this. It was a house built in Chicago, right? This is the one we're talking about, the same one. Yeah. During the yeah, World's um, Fair was when he was most active. It's basically what um, a lot of horror movies are built on. He built a hotel, essentially, and the rooms would had all trap doors and they went down to torture chambers and mm-hmm. like butcher rooms and all the worst things you can think of. Yeah. And that's probably what he was thinking of when he designed the House of the Undying. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and some of them had like gas lines that led into them so we could gas people and like just, just awful stuff. There's a book mm-hmm. devil in the white city. That's about, um, H H Holmes. Um, he was not, just not an absolute cool mass murderer. He was, uh, he was allowed his last request when he was finally like executed, which was to be buried in a block of cement, like how he buried all of his victims. So that's oh, just nice. a fun fact about, uh, awesome. triple H. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. But back to the house of the undying. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Ugh. Yeah, that, that image, uh, as you were saying, has been deciphered as Westeros itself being destroyed by the Four Kings. I actually had a different interpretation um, that came about from my, my last video. I didn't include it because I found the images. Uh, I didn't want to put them on a YouTube video, basically. But um, you can sort of think of that as the destruction of the natural world by the humans sort of thing. Because that's what I concluded at the end of my when will the weather go back to normal? Well, it won't because they're the natural world and the magical world is being destroyed um, in sort of like climate change sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I think that's another easy comparison you can make. It doesn't just have to be the four kings. It can just be humanity destroying the natural world, the natural world essentially just like falling apart, kind of like what seems to can happen to this woman, because I think they bite off her nipple and that's not good. Yep. Yeah. We're yeah, worrying at it until it turns red and like. I mean, yeah, like the, the idea of like a Gaia or a mother nature kind of figure. I think that's a good connection to make there. You can also even interpret in a, in a uh, kind of more broad sense about like um, the way the, the very like harsh patriarchy of Westeros just causes everyone to like the people who act uh, empowered by the patriarchy are really like these small little monsters. Mm-hmm. That's how they're described in, in the book. Yes. And then. uh uh, that, you know, the people who suffer because of it are just forced to like accept it. Yeah. Like, like the, I, I think that's a, a good take. You can really expand it a lot to, to look at those yeah. extractive and, and, and ravishing systems. Yeah. Sure. And also a good comment here from leaf Underhill talking about mm. the maze aspect of the undying saying that apparently in China, the, they are arched or zigzagged for the same reason. Oh, something about spirits can only travel in straight lines. Yeah. Okay. Dying, weird. And, Okay, so it is yeah. it is sinuous, right? It's like sneaky. That seems, yeah, that seems yeah. to be a, a weird thing. So she moves on th- past that pretty quickly. Yes, I'm glad for it. It was a creepy image, but mm-hmm. yeah, very much setting the tone. The next one is um, one that people have obsessed with for quite a long time. It's the Red Wedding, uh, a book early, basically, right? Or is yeah. it one? Is it, yeah, yeah, it's a it's, book early. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so George was planning it all this time. It's 
the uh, the fray hall with everyone just kind of frozen where they were when they were killed. Like heads are taken off, arms are missing, but some of them are still holding goblets. Some of them are still like partying, but like they're missing body parts. It's really grim. And then sitting yeah. up on the throne, which actually doesn't happen in the uh, in the real red wedding but it's rob stark with gray wind's head sewn on but alive yeah but full of wounds yep which was ter- like a terrifying image oh um, it's yeah it's probably like one of the most just horrifying images in the series because we like we end up knowing like oh that's rob like we like rob yeah. it's not just like a scary image of someone yeah, you know, it, you have a real connection to this like wolf-headed man who is full of wounds, and you're like, oh, he's like 15. Like, what the fuck? Um, I, yeah, it's it is definitely the red wedding early. It's interesting that Rob, like you said, he's presiding over it here, but isn't in. Uh, no, in he dies with the rest of his men. Right. So it almost feels like this is her looking at like a Valhalla type thing, or like a Hall of the Dead, mm. where like. Rob is presiding over the ghosts of all the people who died with him or something like it, it's yeah it, it's a very strange it also could be that George R. R. Martin didn't know how he was going to stage the red wedding exactly um, yeah he yeah. decided later <laughs> he decided later it was better having him die next to cat rather than up on a dais yeah right I mean I I think that's probably more likely but I like the idea that it's it's Rob presiding over all of his loyal ghosts and one thing I found really interesting because when I was uh, rereading this, uh, actually today, I, I kept track of which spirits and ghosts were could see Danny. And Rob is one of the few that did. It says that um, as she looks in, the wolf's eyes look at her with, and it says with mute appeal. So mm-hmm. it's essentially going like, and like following her with her, with its eyes, which is very strange because when we get to some of the later ones, people you would expect to see Danny or, Maybe you, I, I don't understand, but like Rob does. Rob yep. sees Danny and Rob's a warg. So yeah. is, is this some kind of like magical thing where, yeah, he maybe as he was dying, maybe he actually did see Danny at the end of the hall. Yeah. How we, yeah. I mean, we've talked about that idea before, or you've talked about that idea, I should say, before mm-hmm. um, with the pyres and blood, you know, the idea that people have seen Danny kind of throughout the years. Um, yeah, this idea that Rob sees her and is like, not just sees her, but is like, hey, can you do something about this? Like, <laughs> fix I'm this. I'm being killed. You yeah. help. You with the right. dragon. That, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, maybe somebody should ask George that. Could the people in the visions that are real see her? Because yeah. some of them can't and some of them can. Uh, also, uh, Stephen Stark pointing out, a uh, hundred people are watching right now. Slam that MF and like button. Come on and slam the, the like button. Um, <laughs> like, share, all the things. Thank you guys for coming out on Halloween. I know a lot of your parents have kids are taken out. It's a rainy, crappy night in the Northeast. So, you know, very touched you chose to spend your time with us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think we can move on past that one. That it was, it's a horrifying scene. I think it's the one that hurts the most out of everything we see. Like, personally, when I saw that, there were other things that were like, more distasteful but that one like was a gut punch i was like mm-hmm. the red wedding again Ugh. yeah right right yep it, it really hurts coming again i mean the next one for danny too is like that's one for danny that's, that's for significant her. where she sees the red door again the house with the red door mm-hmm. um which 
even here doesn't get much of a like lengthy description. Um, the House of the Red Door is to this day, I think, pretty ambiguous in its descriptions. Like we get, we oh, were yeah. told about some of the beams with the animals carved on them, I think. But other than that, you know, it, he leaves it pretty open as to how we want to picture the house with the red door. So for her, it's just, she sees the house with the red door and she recognizes it. She's like, Oh, hell yes. My childhood home. But the, uh, the really interesting thing I thought about that was she saw the house with the red door and then she, and then the text says that she expected to see Willem Derry and then he appeared. So yeah. it appears much like uh, we were talking about earlier with like the psychic Esperon stuff. This one seems to be responding to her where this is like mm-hmm. a room that's trying to trap her, a room that's trying to, the other ones weren't trying to trap her. Yep. The other ones were just like horrible things, maybe to move her on. But this one, this room wants her to come inside and it yep. uses the image of Willem Derry. It reaches out with its hand and she has to remind herself he's dead and then run along terrified mm-hmm. of what she just saw. And I think that's a really uh, a shining part of, uh, of this part of the story where clearly some parts of the house, the in dying are alive and they want her to stay. And it's unclear yep. whether it's the building, if it's the undying, or whatever's inside those doors. Yeah. Or um, even the trees, you know? I mean, the trees, it, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, you're right. That is an enormously spooky moment where she realizes, like, it, it, like she sees Willem and she's like, oh, yep, okay. Oh, hold up. Wait, dead. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, it's very unsettling. Um, it's scary in a way that like, it, it's not as gruesomely scary as like the preceding visions with no. the blood and guts, but it's definitely unsettling because it's, it's personal. Yeah. It's and and it's, her. it's showing Danny's fragility too. I mean, like she is not, not that I, I don't think the text really suggests that she was about to like linger there forever with Willem Derry, but you know, she just this, like, that's right. Like she, she's tempted for a moment. She's like, um, <laughs> He's here. Maybe I could go home again. It's uh, it's almost kind of like um, uh, again, I think a Stephen King story. It where the um, mm-hmm. Pennywise, it does not actually look like that. He looks like whatever he thinks will kind of trap people the best. Yeah. So yeah. that that seems to be what's happening here. It's 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 a room or a spirit that is very malevolent. Knows who Danny is. Is reaching into her mind and also pulling out the image of Willem and showing it back to her. Mm-hmm. And that's very scary. Hmm. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. The, she she looks it, in the abyss and it looks back. And I think this is one of the one of the the visions that I think a lot of people just sort of breeze by. It's like, oh, he wasn't really there. But mm-hmm. really think about how scary it is that it pulled that from her brain, right? Or her yeah. past, whichever what one it was, is not good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that later too when we talk about some of the other things about mm-hmm. how it. And by it, I mean the like the force of the undying, whatever it is, like uh, is pulling things that she wanted to see that she has seen, like is is like pulling all this gestalt together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Patrick Doherty saying Warshak's test stuff. Yeah, definitely like that. Along those mm-hmm. lines, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. do you, let's take let's take let's take a question real fast, and we'll go back to going through the. Um, yeah. The narrative of what happened. Um, let's see here. Let's grab. Okay. Uh, this one from Steven Stark from Patreon. Um, mm. Also mod and in the chat. 
Thank you, Stephen. Uh, what do Stephen. you think the narrative purpose is of Danny's experience in the House of the Undying? He goes on to describe the different kinds of images, how they're strange and disturbing. What do they what do they mean? Do we think why did George write this? What what's mm. the point of this chapter existing? Because it doesn't have to. Yeah, it's true. Um yeah, I mean and you could almost say that about Karth as a whole, mm-hmm. frankly. <laughs> um even more so than the the Hotu. But um yeah, I mean I, I think the House of the Undying is it's an important bookend, at least to her first chapter in clash mm-hmm. where she is this, um, and shout out to not a cast who just covered this with mighty Isabel, um, in a, in a really spectacular way, this chapter, um, Danny's first clash chapter, but, um, where she's really this like prophet in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And it feels like in answer to that, she has to go on some sort of spiritual journey, right? Like she has to, um, she has to, go into Hades like uh like Odysseus. She has to experience sort of these underworld, these otherworldly visions and and things. Um so in that sense, I think it it makes a lot of sense as a continuation of of how the book starts for her. In terms of the story going forwards for her, I mean I, I think that's a great question because prophecy is is clearly ramping up in her story as something she cares about. You know, Quaith brings her the warnings about the the mummer's drag the you know the son's son of the sun, right? Um, Griffin and Pale Flame, the pale horse yeah. or something. I'm losing the thread, but <laughs> Griffin and Black Flame. Um Pale Horse, but um Pale Mare, but you know, per- prophecy is clearly important for Danny, and I think will continue to mount in importance as she gets closer to the others and to being told that she is Azora High, maybe incorrectly. Um mm-hmm. And so I think this is an important step in that process of like just opening the world, the opening her doors of perception. Um, Literally opening. Doors. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, to, yeah, to just welcome some of that magic and prophecy into her life in a new way. I would agree. And uh, just in general, I would say Danny is maybe, maybe has the most magical story in a song of ice and fire. She she bursts the dragons. Drogo comes back from the dead. She goes into the house of the undying. She has Quaith messing with her mind. Uh, Bran is, I would say, like one B if she's one A. Like th- <laughs> this, this is by far the most magical POV I think we get. I mean, Melisandre only gets like a couple of chapters, but the whole way through, start to finish, Danny is the fantasy hero. Yeah, in a way absolutely. that um, a lot of the other characters could be just historical fiction if they wanted to, mm-hmm. and. It also sets the stage. I've talked about this in a lot of my other videos, but in particular, the idea that the Targaryens are tuned into something that other people aren't. And that's sort of the secret to their success. They call them bookish. They call them um, mad. They call them witches sometimes. But the important underlying fact is that they see something the rest of the world doesn't. And mm-hmm. I think this is kind of similar to that that this is danny's introduction to that world uh there's even the vision uh before the dragons hatch where she sees what i think are the great empires of the the great emperors of the dawn urging her onwards with their different colored eyes and it's like what was that that doesn't happen to other people like the closest you get is like john thinking that the statues in the in winterfell are looking at him not people turning and shouting at him with blades of fire she's she's a very yeah magical character and she actually calls that out in this in this chapter where 
Um, I think it's Jorah says, remember Miriam has door and Danny says, that's why I have to go in. The door has been opened for her into yeah. this wider world of magic. And George mm-hmm. has decided that this motif of the spooky building with the, um, with the weird attendants and the like zombie King psychic <laughs> character yeah. that he uses later for Bran is how he wants to do it. Yeah. Uh, this is, this is, this is basically a dry run for Bran. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to harp on the show too much because I think the discussion of the book house, the undying has to be kind of separate, but, mm-hmm. um, and I know it's controversial to take the show's ending as canon in any form, but, <laughs> um, I, I do tend to think that the show's ending was mostly canon and that, um, you know, that D- Danny will be faced at some point with um, the fact that she might not be Azora High. She might not be the fantasy hero that she's had all of these experiences telling her she's the fantasy hero. Mm-hmm. You know, like that going through the House of the Undying will be important later because she will be able to look back at it and go, but, but wait, why am I not the fantasy hero? <laughs> like I did that. Yeah. And that's what fantasy heroes do. Um, it happens to a lot of other Targaryens. They, they yeah. have the same thing happened to him. Aemon goes through the same stuff. He's like, I did mm-hmm. everything right. Why didn't it work? Right. And so I think I think that's a, you know, I'm hoping that's kind of where the story goes, because I think it'd be really interesting for George to explore that idea of her um, feeling like looking back at her experiences and being like, well, yeah, but I like, look at my story. Of course I'm a fantasy hero, even if she's not. And comparing it to Bran, who I think in the books will have, we like you said, similar thing with blood Raven in the cave. Mm -hmm. He's experiencing these same kind of fantasy hero things. Um, That doesn't mean either one of them is a perfect fantasy hero. It just means that they'll both be able to look back and like draw on that in some way. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, King Bran. Good. I said it, Patrick. Um, <laughs> Good question from <laughs> yeah. Stephen Sterk. There. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, oh, uh, Krufu's daughter just came back, and she missed us talking all about the the shade of the evening trees and how they're weirwoods. That's right. Well, uh, uh, yeah, we. I think we shouted her out uh, plenty, but sorry, Amanda. I hope <laughs> we can't shout her out enough. Frankly, no, does amazing yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, let's go back to the visions because this, we were just mm. talking about Targaryens and how they relate to prophecy and magic. And then Eris. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And see, she opens the great bronze doors of the Red Keep into the throne room and sees Eris sitting on the throne, in, apparently in front of Jamie, uh, telling uh, Rosser, is that his name? The Pyromancer? Yeah. yeah. To mm-hmm. burn them all, that he will be the, let him be king of ashes in an over cooked meat and yeah that's a thing to show danny <laughs> as a yeah character. yeah um <laughs> yeah uh it's obviously super um tied in again with the end of the show but it's also like you know it's it's a psa it's a targaryen mm-hmm. psa it's like hey don't don't, don't just do burn people. Yeah. What's interesting to me too about this vision is that she pushes open the bronze doors of the red keep, right? Mm-hmm. She has never been to the red keep. And yet the, we know from the rest of the story, like if you do a search of ice and fire, the doors to the red keep are bronze. Like mm-hmm. she's experiencing the real red keep, not just yes. her imagined version of it. 
so she's see, she is seeing like security seeing camera real. style this memory. It's not yeah. it's not being pulled from her subconscious or something. It's her visiting a real thing that happened. Somebody's connecting her to this. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, like we were talking about with Bran happens to him right after he takes the weirwood pace and he goes on that massive trip through time where he sees through the weirwood eyes the the total life of Winterfell. Where he goes from, he sees Ned, then he sees um, Benjen and Lyanna, then he mm-hmm. sees probably Duncan Old Man, yeah. then he sees the the woman um, with the baby, then she see, then mm-hmm. he sees the the blood sacrifice, and that seems to be happening here too. She's tumbling back in time, at least in this instant, somebody has connected her, which is again speaking to just how crazy the house of the undying is. And how close they probably are to the weirwoods that this seems to be a similar power that both of these groups have. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But across the world, they're in yep. Essos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brand yeah, sees across literally space through and the, time. He sees through the Winterfell Weirwood. Danny's mm-hmm. seeing another continent. This is also why I, th- you know, th- there were people who were a little peeved with the show for letting Bran kind of wander beyond the weirwoods in his visions. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I mean, Blood Raven does tell him explicitly, like eventually you'll see beyond the weirwoods. But we've seen it in the story already that this is something magic can do mm-hmm. um, when you're having these magic visions. That it's not limited to like, oh yes, you can only see out of like that camera, and it oscillates, so you can only see the parking lot when it's mm-hmm. like it. You there's a lot of power in in this kind of magic. A lot, of, a lot of power. And so, I drank. Yeah. That's right. Which that's right. Okay, this going podcast sponsored by Blue Gatorade. No, I'm by, <laughs> by the chef, which I have not drank any more of. Oh yeah, oh. shockingly, yeah. Um, mm. I also I was also tracking, like I said, with uh, Rob, who could hear Danny and who couldn't. Ares could not hear them. Right, and it's okay. noted that right after Ares gives the order, Drogon essentially yells in terror. And claws into her shoulders, hearing Ares give that order. Uh, yeah, and right. He's been he's been scared of the other visions. They note that um, he's kind of wary of the rats. When somebody's pounding on one of the doors, he kind of like hisses at it. But mm-hmm. this this vision of Ares scares the shit out of Drogon. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's a good point. I mean. It, Maybe Drogon in some way, you know, people were giving the show crap for how Drogon burns the Iron Throne mm-hmm. after Danny dies. But, you know, I think there's definitely something there with Drogon being able to recognize, like, uh, the dark implications of, of, of Danny's actions. Yeah. Um, and of other targets. Yeah, yeah, very intelligent. Yeah. There's also a, a really funny thing that happens where it doesn't seem that just Danny's tripping balls. I think Drogon is too, because as they're walking down the hallway, there, it's noted that Drogon tries to take off from her shoulder, flies 20 feet, and crashes, just like falls into the dirt. And it's like, is Drogon drunk on a shitty evening too? Because Danny drank it? That's right. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's symbiotically um, wasted. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that that I thought I found that really interesting. Drogon actually, I did this before with the with the direwolves, but tracking Drogon throughout this is because George loves the idea of psychic familiars. He writes it in Tough Waging mm. too. Um, yeah. Some of those other stories, there's psychic animals. Drogon mm. 
is reacting the same way they do. What he's scared of is telling you more than just what Danny perceives. Because she's more confused at what she's seeing with Ares. Drogon's mm-hmm. scared. So Yep. Yep. No, I, I think you're right. And and that hones in with the wolves as well, how the, the dire wolves mm-hmm. are able to, you know, pick up on on shit that the humans can't. It's like Grey Wind at the Red Wedding, balking at, at the the phrase. Um yeah. yeah, very reminiscent of that actually. Yeah. yeah. And then we get to the the big daddy vision, the one that mm. I think I quoted in four videos, maybe at this point. <laughs> um, the infamous vision of, well, it's it's Rhaegar, but Danny doesn't think so. She's like Viserys, what are you doing there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is definitely obviously George's like little, you know, he doesn't like to be super overt. I think, and mm-hmm. so it's. You know, if a character's like, oh, is that so and so? Then that's your clue that it's not that person, but like you should be able to figure it out from It's from close. That. It's uh, yeah. Rhaegar and Elia with um, yep. baby Aegon. I don't, is Rhaenys in there? Uh, I don't think I don't so. Remember. Yeah. She might she's, not, she's not extensively mentioned. Yeah. Um, she may be in the room, but um, yeah. She sees her older brother Rhaegar with his first wife, Elia, and their <laughs> newborn son, Aegon, not Jon Snow. This is the Aegon that got killed by Armory, Amory, Amory Lorch. I always say yep. Armory. Um, and he drops the infamous line. This is where, this is like the title coming down mm-hmm. like in the middle of a movie or like, um, or like a song where somebody says the name of the song in the chorus. Rhaegar yeah. says he has the song of ice and fire. Yep. This is it. This is the big one. Yeah. It's um we get ice and fire really only as like a, a couple times in the series and more of them are from jojen and mira than mm-hmm. from like targaryens so yeah this is definitely a big one um it's also one of our few real insights into regular targaryen yes um because the only time like, we see him again yeah like like the Ares vision just before this, I think what we're seeing is like a real memory, right? It's not her subconscious generating this. It's a, it's a real thing. Um, Rhaegar sees her. Rhaegar sees her. Mm-hmm. Mm. He sees her standing in the doorway and turns to talk to her because he's talking to Elia. And then he turns and looks out the door and Danny's like, he's not that far away. And he's looking at me. That's right. Yeah. Weird. I pulled up the quote just because it's such a yes. good one. And I've read it so many times. Yeah. 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 Um, Actually, you've read this for me, too. Will you make first a song for him? The woman asked. He has a song, the man replied. He is the prince that was promised, and his is the song of ice and fire. He looked up when he said it, and his eyes met Danny's, and it seemed as if he saw her standing there beyond the door. There must be one more, he said. Though whether he was speaking to her or the woman in the bed, she could not say. Again, hints to maybe why he picked Liana eventually. He needed another. There's rumors mm-hmm. that Elliot couldn't have another kid. Anyway. Um, yep. Yep. The dragon has three heads. He went to the window seat, picked up a heart and ran, picked up a harp and ran his fingers lightly over the silvery strings. Sweet sadness filled the room as the man and wife and babe faded like morning mist. Only the music lingered behind to speed her on her way. Yeah. George worked on that one for a while. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. You can really feel him like feeling himself on that. Yeah, he's definitely vibing. Um yeah, man, what a quote. I, th- that whole Rhaegar looking towards her thing is so interesting because it almost makes me feel like um, uh, sort of a chicken and egg type question here where like 
maybe he was just looking into the middle distance and he didn't mm. think he was looking at anything, but his eyes meet Danny's. And so Danny, like regardless mm-hmm. of what he thinks he's looking at, he is looking at Danny Yeah, and Danny's looking back at him, which I, th- I mean, that's what's important. You know, it's like, that's what's kind of keenly important about that scene. Um, and maybe the most important quote said to Danny in the entire house of the undying yeah. is introducing the prince that was promised, which she hasn't heard of before. Mm-hmm. And this idea of a song of ice and fire, mm-hmm. which no matter how it goes in the books, probably pretty similar to the show in like the broad strokes. She may remember this quote when she meets John. Cause I mean, the yes. act of ice and fire. Yes, absolutely. Because like, um, I mean, <laughs> so many fans have had, had guessed long before the show got there that, Danny and John would end up together partially because of the title song of ice and fire. They're like, well, Mm -hmm. yeah, Danny's fire and John's ice, but Danny knows the title of the series too. Like she also knows that this is a song of ice and fire. So she meets John. She's like, Oh, ice and fire. She knows she has history books. Maybe somebody will tell her about that as a reason that she should marry John, Mm -hmm. like fulfill the ice of pact of ice and fire that everyone knows about that came from the dance of the dragons. That's right. The thing that was there. It's almost Mm -hmm. like, uh, George essentially took Danny outside the book and turned it around and showed it to her. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think coming back to Stephen Stark's question earlier, that's a big part of the house of the undying, right? Is like showing Danny kind of the bones of the story that she's in. Um, <laughs> uh, speaking of Stephen, he, he sent a super chat saying he is uh, popping off to bed. So fare thee well. Thank you, Steven. Um, thank you for coming and slamming and jamming. Um, <laughs> come on and slam. Come on. Yeah. I do also, I want to, uh, I don't know how to do the magic comment thing, but um, Wheezy Squeeze Boxes. Oh, I'll grab this. Uh, I, I thought that was a good insight that it is very inconsiderate yeah. of Ray Gardner. Like, kind of a dick. So, Elia, when can we like pop out another one? When can we, <laughs> when can we get back to business? Time. Yeah. Right. And Rainey's even, I think they said she was laid up in bed for like a year afterwards. Aegon mm-hmm. almost killed her. And he's like, so got to get on yep. my third one yep. ASAP. You know, there's a, there's this aspect to, and this is probably because I've like re reread the Watchmen comic and I'm watching the new series, but there's an aspect to Rhaegar that is kind of like Ozymandias from the, the Watchmen comic yeah. Um, about this whole, you know, he has this master plan and like, yeah, he feels, he feels emotions. He feels strongly about things, but ultimately like it's about the plan and it's about like putting things into motion despite the cost to the people he loves or the people he claims to love or whatever. Um, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. It's uh, which of course raises some interesting questions about him and Liana, but um, <laughs> it, it really does. And yeah. uh with the vision itself, I would say this is maybe the climax of the chapter, but I would not have called it that on the first read. Mm-hmm. I would say meeting the undying is the climax, but yeah. on retrospect going back, this is the big one. Yep. This, this is this is maybe what the chapter exists for. It's definitely the the like axis that the chapter rotates around, if not the climax. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's the it's the the like center of the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, everything else, every other vision, frankly will kind of refer to this one in some way, mm. whether obliquely or directly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of course, uh, it's after this that she meets uh, Splendor of Wizards, but go that's ahead. That's true. I'm just going to take a second and do a, uh, a quick old plug um, Please do. So, as I mentioned earlier, I had a video that came out earlier this week. Um, it was It's titled, uh, Will There Be Another Long Night? Basically talking about the weird seasons 
that are going on. I'm going to drop a link in chat here. Mm. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, that's a good thing to check out tomorrow, about 20 minutes long. And also a chance to uh, shout out my Patreon. Um, Patreon.com slash Joe Magician. You can get access to um, quite a few things. Uh, one of them right now, the patrons are using. They have the outline we're reading, so they know where we're going ahead of time. <laughs> Um, they also get access to the audio and video of video of, um, anything I make early. Um, there's a private Slack as well. Uh, if you don't know what Slack is, it's kind of like a, uh, it's a chat room sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Invite only very exclusive. Ooh. So you can get access to that as well as Sam Rixian's art. Um, so if you enjoy what you're watching and would like to see more of that kind of stuff, consider going to Patreon and, you know, signing up. It helps with, um, costumes and there we go i don't find that many costumes it's mostly like paying for like adobe and like uh podcast hosting and stuff like that but anyway yeah it would be helpful um there's also the uh super chat thing where at any time if you want to bump in and ask us a question that we haven't gotten to from the chat um you can do a super chat ask it and me and michael will answer it um, yeah we will <laughs> we will answer it um did you have Absolutely. anything you want to plug Anything I want to plug? Um, shit, maybe not uh, yet. I've got some stuff that's probably going to be coming around in the new year. Um, for now, if you want to watch this space, you can always follow me on Twitter at Bookshelf Stud or uh, follow my WordPress blog off mm-hmm. michaelsbookshelf.wordpress.com, which is kind of the repository for everything that I do, whether it's on Reddit or somewhere else. It'll end up there. Um, and of course, we did just drop a new Maester Monthly this yes. past week uh, featuring the lovely and talented Kim Renfro, author mm. of the unofficial guide to Game of Thrones, which is sitting right here next to me. <laughs> um, so we're down there. I'm not going to go. <laughs> um, it's been it's been sitting next to me uh, for a while here. And yeah, it, it's 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 a fantastic book. It, it's really a great like look behind the scenes at Game of Thrones. Um, so anyway. Um, that Maester Monthly, we talked to Kim and we also just, you know, talked about like a bunch of random, just terrible Reddit posts and yeah. Pat Hayden for some reason. And, uh, yeah, just of, like a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Whole mishmash of things. Um, speaking of questions in the chat, by the way, uh, there was a good one that we can quickly and easily answer as well. Um, from Sasak in the chat. I'm sorry. I'm squinting at the chat box. Thank you. Um, did Gurm already have the name for this series? He did in his yes. original pitch letter in October 1993, the first paragraph. Here are the first 13 chapters of the high fantasy novel I promised you, which I'm calling A Game of Thrones. When completed, this will be the first volume in what I see as an epic trilogy with the overall title A Song of Ice and Fire. So from the very get-go, um, mm-hmm. A Song of Ice and Fire has been his yeah his heart for the series absolutely so when Rhaegar says this it really is George referencing the title it's not like he retro retroactively tried to fit that in yeah which makes it so cool the first time it's been mentioned in the books I believe there's like you said there's been like weird like pseudo references this is like straight on yeah that's true that's a song of ice and fire yeah I think the closest we got up until that point was Jojen Mira swearing by fire and ice or something yeah and uh, ice and fire mate or something like that yeah well that's or does that come later? later that might come yeah later. yeah anyway <laughs> that's brand yeah. two a storm of swords jojen says if ice and fire can mate then or something mm-hmm. anyway uh going back to the the visions and the ghosts themselves uh, a lot of the other visions and ghosts seem very aggressive towards danny or mm. dangerous somehow to her this one not so much it's um mm-hmm. it kind of just fades away once it's done playing almost like a video stopping 
it fades mm-hmm. away into a mist and then there's uh Rhaegar's song keeps playing which is presumably the song of ice and fire mm. um the actual chords to it which is probably jenny's song but anyway mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and this is it's different it's not dangerous i'm almost wondering if the warlock's mentor to see it interesting yeah right because everything else is so in her face and it's the, it's really trying to draw her to do things this isn't trying to get her to do anything it's just like an odd vision yeah it yeah it, you know we've talked a lot about the agency of the the building the warlocks mm. the the trees whatever this like force is that's doing the visions um but you've also made a good point about how danny has this kind of latent um psychic psychic seems too strong but like these latent kind of visionary powers of hers um dragon dreams yeah yeah um and you almost wonder if it's like danny's powers using this opportunity like using the opportunity that her her doors are open she is like Mm -hmm. susceptible all this to finally like feed her this thing that she she needs to see that it's yeah. not the house that it's it's her somehow like that the same way she had the dream about the gemstone emperors or whatever you know that, that yeah it's it's coming from this deep place within her um yeah which I, I i don't know yeah i think it'd be interesting to go through these and categorize like is this the house or is this I yeah yeah this is close as got, where i just noted the how drogon also did not really have an angry reaction to this he was just kind of watching Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, so yeah, let's, um, there's also uh, another vision that comes up that um, didn't make our, our list because it's a really fast one. It's fake oh, Pyatpuri. That's right. That's right. That was a weird one. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's another one that is aggressive and uh, going after her because it's trying to get her to walk into the room, which is in some way dangerous to her. It's... Mm-hmm. Um, it's essentially the door opens and it's the outside of the house of the undying with a worm creature that is pretending to be Pyat Pri. Yeah. And I don't know how that was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like very. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of worms. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, there's the, the, uh, I'm totally blanking on a source for this or whatever, but the, the the idea of like the conqueror worm that in the end worms will eat us all right like the mm-hmm. the worm is the conqueror because we we all die and worms will eat our bodies um so a worm as a word has has these really interesting kind of associations with undeath and death and the afterlife and all that mm-hmm. um grave worms show up a lot in the series um there's the grave worm in the eye of the man at the house of black and white yeah. that aria plucks out and eats um and we haven't even talked about the hobo, but it the hobo is really similar to the hotu in uh, in yeah, a lot is. of ways, yeah. you know. And there's also fireworms. Yeah, abs- right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all of which seem to play like this really uh, fundamental role in like the history of Targaryen magic and dragon magic. And yeah, that. with uh, also um, what's her name, the Targaryen girl that went to Illyria and back. Area. Ar- yeah. Ar- yeah, area. And with uh, the fireworms that came out of her and were cooking her from the inside. Yeah. So that shows up here. Yeah. A talking yeah. one of those. Yeah. I wonder if this is this one of the dwellers that is referenced. Maybe. This, this worm being, this psychic worm. 
I don't know. It's weird. Uh, and then uh, we move on to there, there's a weird uh, chase sequence. It's yeah. not really that important. And move on to the splendor of wizards where she enters a door made of weirwood and ebony. Again, talking about the the shaded evening trees and ebony, which maybe are the same thing and weirwoods kind of fusing into one door, which we also see at Tobo Mott's. We also see the house of black and white, yep. the same doors basically enters yep. and it's a splendor of wizards uh warriors guys with actual like pointy hats with stars on them yeah um, just like the coolest party you've ever seen yeah and very much i mean like you meant i'm glad you point out the like the literal pointy hatted star and moon wizards because mm. um it, it feels like she's walking into like uh a different fantasy story mm. you know she, she's walking into like a david edding story or, or something that's really classic high fantasy like um, an oven court or something yeah and you might say on the meta level she's walking into one of the stories <laughs> the fantasy stories that george considered to be like inferior and a waste of the genre back <laughs> like before he started writing Aswaf, like mm-hmm. back when he was like oh wait tad williams is doing something very different with this and like what i actually thought about when i was seeing this particular vision along with the one that happens next is i thought very much of the shining um because there's the scene when Jack Torrance goes into the ballroom and it's like it used to be where everything is beautiful and all the people are the best people and everyone's partying and having a great time. And then when Wendy later goes into that same ballroom, it's essentially like what happens with the undying to Danny here where they turn out to be um, just like corpses and cobwebs and everybody's dead. But at first, they all look like they're having just the greatest time in the world, which is definitely not what's happening. They they try to tempt her to stay. There's a lot of temptations. They offer to teach her the um, the teachings of dragon kind, how to speak to them. They offer her magic armor and weapons. They offer her wisdom, but for some reason, she I think it's actually Drogon that alerts her that something weird is going on because he, as this is all happening, he freaks out and he flies up onto the, the weirwood and ebony door and starts like trying to eat it. He tries to eat wood. And as he's doing that, it kind of like breaks Danny out of whatever trance is going on. And she notices another door, uh, a really shabby one off to the right. Oh, oh, by the way, hang on. There's a, um, a super chat here from again from uh, vampurs 99 thank you very much for uh, another donation in norse mythology a worm is a type of dragon exactly right yeah george loves using different uh words for dragons all over the place uh, a fire worm is a fire dragon i was talking about how the um the splendor of the wizards versus the actual one dying remind me very much of the shining in particular the movie um mm. when jack walks into that grand ballroom and everything's like wonderful and beautiful and it's the best party and the best people and when wendy walks in it's it's all the corpses it's all the dead yep. people it's all the ghosts yeah that's that's kind of what's happening here again i think he, he's referencing king a lot especially with these mm-hmm. two scenes right next to each other where there's this there's what the ghost building wants you to see and what it actually is yeah, I mean, and Jack too in in The Shining when he goes into room two thirty seven or whatever it is two seventeen, um, right, and he he sees the lady in the bathtub and She's is, is first. tricked by her uh, her um, 
sweet hindquarters. And then, you know, yeah, yeah he, he falls for it. Um, and that's absolutely the, the thing that is happening, um, with the undying and their splendor. Yeah. I, I love the splendor of wizards as a group noun too. <laughs> it's a good name. Um, and I, I was also noting that the thing that sort of snaps Danny out of it is Drogon because mm-hmm. he realizes something is wrong and flies up onto the door and starts trying to eat the weirwood and the ebony. And Danny's like, what, what's, why is he doing that? What's going on? And then she sees the other door, the other last door on the right and goes right. through it. And then we get the actual one dying and holy fuck. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah, the the actual undying themselves are are the creepiest physical beings we probably get in Aswaf thus far. Just just on sheer like horror movie level alone. I mean, they they are zombies and vampires rolled into one. They are Dwer, you know, Dwergar and they are um Dweros and, and just every awful terrible underground monster zombie thing that you can imagine <laughs> they're they're really terrible i got the uh, quote here of danny seeing them good uh, she walks in and notice that it's all these people sitting around uh, a very old stone um table which remind me maybe a sacrificial altar depending mm-hmm. considering what's happening next um and they're all just sta- sitting there um their heads back all just mm-hmm. staring at each other wide-eyed not moving not breathing just sitting there and okay here we go um through the indigo murk she can make out the wizened features of the undying one to her right an old man wrinkled and hairless his flesh was a per- was a ripe violet blue his lips and nails bluer still so dark they were almost black even the whites of his eyes were blue they stared unseeing at the ancient woman on the opposite side of the table whose gown of pale silk had rotted on her body I'm not going to, well, actually, I'd just go for this. One withered breast was left bare in the Carthine Manor to show the pointed blue nipple hard as leather. Those are fucked. That's terrifying. That's like Blood Raven levels of like, what am I looking at? Which I think is the the thing that's happening here when George eventually does show mm-hmm. us Blood Raven. He wants you to think of the undying. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the way, too, that like in a very physical sense, they are stained by their magic and then the, the trees and the shade of evening and all that. They are literally turned blue. They are, um, you know, in a sense they are Smurfs. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they, Danny is looking at Papa Smurf when she walks in and then he's looking at Smurfette across the table from him, um, with her one pointy blue nipple. No, but, um, uh, you know, this physical transformation that cu- is coupled with like the magical transformation. We do see that also with blood Raven. You're right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like the vines and shit that are growing through him. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, fucked up. <laughs> it's visceral, you know, it makes you feel it. If they were just old people sitting there, not, I mean, it's still creepy, but you, I don't know. There's something about that physical transformation and alteration that the body like- horror that that really get, gets you yeah they're, they're like mummies that have been unwrapped and they're all just sitting there and mm-hmm. uh, and there's also the pulsing blue heart that you're talking about with the red sonia with the um the blue sun thing where it says every time it pulses which it kind of can't do because it's almost dead mm-hmm. it sends out blue light which washes over them and seems to be almost sustaining them 
Yes. I don't, I don't know. It's this is like, this is black gate level. I don't know what the hell this is. Absolutely. I mean, I love it when, when George does this, when he does just kind of let his hair down uh, and just goes for it. Balls to the wall on the, the weird magic stuff. Um, and doesn't try to explain it. Like I said earlier, like there, it's not like Danny's looking around the room. And she's like, Oh yes, there's a cunning system of pipes set into the wall to make this heart glow. No, it's just a glowing heart. Like it's deal a glowing with it. floating heart. Just yeah. <laughs> Suck it up. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, it is like you said that the idea that the light is sustaining them, um, that, they are connected to this heart, even if not by like physical veins and vines, the way blood Raven might be. Um, same idea. yeah, yeah. They're connected to it by a, you know, they're the same color on the Pantone spectrum basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually the other, uh, the other children of the forest and blood Raven's cave sort of look the same where that's a good they're, point. They're sort of sitting there staring off into nothing, dreaming all the time. When mm-hmm. Bran walks by, they kind of notice them, but not really. That's sort of what happens here with Danny where they don't, it seems they're pretending not to notice her for a bit. And then they show her visions and then they pounce and start doing weird things to her. Yeah. But so let, let's go into what yeah. they say to her. Yeah. Because uh, I would say this is the second most important part of the chapter after Rhaegar's thing. Mm-hmm. They start speaking in her mind, which, mm-hmm. yeah, they are psychics. And she's taking a hallucinogen. So it appears her third eye is open, much in the same way that Blood Raven talks to Bran. Yeah. This is what's happening. It's the same thing. Right. She's essentially dreaming while awake, I think. If that yeah. makes any sense. No, and, yeah, they, yeah. Mm-hmm. and they give her they give her a bunch of names and they call her the mother of dragons, child of three, slayer of lies, and the daughter of death. Those are not good titles. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Um I, I think the one that's most interesting there, you know, most most of them make sense. Mother of dragons, like, okay, check. We get that. Slayer of lies. Maybe we don't quite get that yet, but you know, there's the idea that Danny will have to fight some sort of pretender to get to the throne mm-hmm. has, I think, like, that's been around for a while. Like, George has referred to the da- the second dance for a long time. Like, the idea that she'll have to fight a pretender to the throne mm-hmm. is not crazy. So Slayer of Lies, like, okay, sure. Daughter of Death, like, she's the daughter of Ares Targaryen. That's a really you know, bad one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, Child of Three is such an interesting one. Um she is literally a child of three. I, so I want to hear your take on it because I have a, a kind of take on it, but I want to hear yours. Well, there's the she is the thir- she is the third child of um, Ares and Rhea, although the, old, the third living one. They actually had many more children that were stillborn or mm-hmm. died shortly after birth. So mm-hmm. in a way, she's the child of three, but not really. Yeah, it's it, it kind of doesn't fit that way. So it's sort of I think it goes back to the idea of the um, three heads of the dragon thing where eventually her plus John plus somebody else is going to be very important at the end game of the story, which mm-hmm. I think is what that means. Yeah. So and I guess folks who can see the outline might have already seen this, um, but the the child of three thing um, I was thinking about it today and this is not like some insight I've had for a long time. This is a new thing for me. Um, but when, when the searchers arrive, uh, and find Danny in her first chapter, um, they introduce themselves in order, Pyat, Zaro, and Quaith. And Pyat introduces himself in Dothraki. Zaro introduces himself in High Valyrian and Quaith introduces herself in the common tongue. Um, 
And I think that's kind of an interesting take on the child of three because Danny is, you know, she is Valyrian by ancestry. She's got mm-hmm. the Valyrian look. She's a Targaryen. She's a Valyrian dragon lord. She's Dothraki, though, by by like her, you know, awful forced marriage, but also she wears the bells in her hair. She is mm-hmm. she's adopted a lot of the Dothraki culture and custom. And I think we'll see her continue to do that in book six and beyond. And she's Westerosi. She's got to come back to the Iron Throne in the end, right? Like she's she's pointed in that direction. And so that's I, that's kind of the riffing on a theme of like the child of three, that she really is like this confluence of different, um, hmm. you know, her ancestry, her kind of immediate ancestry, like her, her th- there's her magic ancestry being Valyrian. There's her more like uh, tangible stuff like, oh, I'm the heir to the throne. Mm-hmm. And then there's this the life that she actually has, which is kind of this moral she's an SOC native. She's, you know, comfortable with the Dothraki. She's comfortable being with people who are not Valyrian or Westerosi, basically. Mm-hmm. Um so I I think it I don't know. I I mean I have to think about this more about it as kind of about her cultural background. Mm-hmm. Um and her many cultural backgrounds, I should say. It's also interesting to note she does um, kind of what you're talking about. She does that during this chapter. She prays to the warrior from the faith of the seven. She also prays to the Dothraki horse God. And then she takes Drogon with her, which is the Valyrian form of, of God worship. So yeah, yeah. The, the three identities you're talking about do show up. That's a great. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Right. Right. Right on. T- takes Drogon, leaves the other two to sit outside. You guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're um, the backup singers. Yeah. And then we get to um, the most gardening, who knows what the hell these means. I don't even know what they are. Nobody does. The, um, the, tri- the, the three mm-hmm. um, things of three that happen to her, that will threes. happen to her or have or will happen to her. There's mm-hmm. three fires she must light, one for life, death, and love. Three mounts she must ride, one to bed, to dread, and to love. Love in all three, by the way. And then three treasons you will know. Blood, gold, and love. Right. Yeah. People have gone bananas trying to fit these to everything. And so does Danny, actually. Yeah. This is, this is an internal prophecy in the story where she does this, too. Everything that happens to her, she thinks about these nine promises that are made to her that they will happen in her life. And tries mm-hmm. to think, which one is this? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's funny because these are these are so general that you could apply them to almost any character in almost any story. Like, you know, yeah, it's part of a story that like, oh, you're you're going to like have life and death and love and you go to bed and you'll dread some like <laughs> it's. But I, I mean, I think that's the point, right, is that is that it's general enough that Danny and the reader are both going to spend a lot of time going like, uh, how does this fit in with this? Um, we did have a, a question that was oh. submitted. Not sorry, I'm talking about one of the other questions. Okay. Um, uh, this was one of the Patreon ones. Um, oh, Char. I think this would be a good time to bring up Shar's question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lady Shar's question. Do you think the prophecy of the threes came true in the show? Why or why not? Do you think it will in the books? Why or why not? Those are right. those are big questions. So I would say in the show. Um, yeah. the way she dies is probably true where a mount to ride people have interpreted that not only as her horse and her dragon, but you know, 
unfortunately, like sometimes writing is a sexual thing. So writing mm-hmm. mm-hmm. John, she does that. Uh, he does betray her. And when mm-hmm. he kills her at the end of the show, um, that's probably for love. I would say I, yeah, I mean, I think love of Ariane Sansa probably. Well, and, and, you know, you see, um, sorry, just an also shout out to Kalara on Twitter who asked that specifically about, you know, given the show ending is the third yeah. treason for Jon Snow. Um, but yeah, I, I think it almost has to be right. Like, um, the treason for love, yeah, for love is kind of, you would think by love or something, but, mm-hmm. um, it's also, I think you could make the argument that, uh, John, when he, when he kills Danny in the books, there's, there's a controversial <laughs> statement. Um, but that it will be because partially, like you said, like love for Arya and Sansa, but also because he loves Danny and he's like, so hurt to see her going down this like very dark path. And like mm-hmm. he, in this, I, I'm not trying to defend him killing her in, in any way, but rather to say that like, it will be born from a born out of like this really complicated love for Danny yeah. um, and love that she has for him and, and all that. And so I think, yeah, I definitely think it's, it's John. I also think, I mean like the fires she must light, um, you know, the one for life you could argue is the dragons, yeah. Um, most people think that one's already happened. Yeah. The one for love could be, you know, it's Drogo. you think that oh, one's no, Drogo? No, no, See, no, I'm sorry. That's I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Sorry. Go ahead. I kind of think it'll be like at the end of the, uh, the long night battle in the show when they light those big pyres oh, with all the, okay. like she lights Jorah who arguably loved her or, you know, whatever. Yes. I mean, yeah, he, he loved her. Like is if Jorah has a concept of love, I guess um, whatever it is, yeah. Um, but so I mean, yeah, they're so general. You can really stretch these. And then the fire for death. Uh, the explanation of why she lit up King's Landing was basically she burned that city so she wouldn't have to burn the others. It was supposed to be her deterrent going forwards. That I'll do to you what I did to King's Landing. That's basically what she says to John too. It's like uh, Sansa. What will happen? Or somebody says this to John, like, what will Sansa think when she hears about what happened to King's Landing? She'll open the gates and she'll mm-hmm. then need to. And that's basically right. the explanation. It's it's the it's the Stannis idea of what is, I mean, uh killing a small amount of people relatively to avoid killing the larger amount, which in Absolutely. this case King's Landing's huge, but compared to the rest of the world, if she has to go city to city burning it, which she seems to think like she does, at least in, in the show, she'll probably get there in the, in the books too. Yeah. I mean, I can see that it's terrible logic and it's horrible, but it's also does make a degree of utilitarian sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good point on the fire for death. Definitely. Um, I, yeah, they, I will, would, they will come yeah. through. I mean, treason for gold. A lot of people have thought that's maybe cash through the rock um, mm. or, uh, some someone's going to get paid off. She she constantly thinks about the treason for gold. She thinks she suspects everybody. <laughs> yeah, she's like, is this the one? Is this the person that's going to be paid to go against? Yeah. She thinks about. I think with Dario about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and Brown Ben Plum. Um, yeah. I, I yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting. You know, people have talked about with the uh, Maggie the Frog prophecy how the gold could relate to hair color and not mm-hmm. just you know gold gold um it's like so cards. It, it can be whatever you want yeah and so it, you know if if 
like Tyrion steals a dragon so he can attack Cersei on his own, even though Danny wants to go north. Well, that's a treason for gold because Tyrion's going after the blonde like crazy. You know, like you can really uh, fit those in any way. I think the important thing about like the treasons in particular is that Danny won't necessarily see any of them. Like anyone she suspects, we should be suspicious of. <laughs> not not suspicious of in the sense like, oh, they're going to betray her, but suspicious of in the sense of like, that can't be who it's going to be. Because yeah, if she thinks it, it won't be. Yes, exactly. You can, you can cross exactly. them off the list. Exactly, yeah. So it'll be uh, in the book, Missande is a faceless man. No. <laughs> yeah, of course. People do think Missande is one of them. Uh, yeah. For mm-hmm. love, because... Um, the book version of Missandei, her brother is one of the captains of the Unsullied. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So people think that might come up at some point where maybe Danny orders him to his death and Missandei yeah. thinks her brother is more important than Khaleesi or something like that. Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think the most, the by far the most important part of these, these, uh, these three triarchs, I guess that would be triptychs something. Yeah, I don't know. Triptychs? Whatever the oh, yeah. <laughs> triptychs, whatever the word is, I think the most important part is that they're always on Danny's mind. And that not in like a madness Aries way, but in sort of a she doesn't tell anybody she's doing this. This is just like a background in her head all the time. She sees mm-hmm. foes everywhere. She's seeing betrayals coming. She's seeing treasons. And in some way, it makes her a lot more paranoid than she might ever have been. Had she not heard, had she not heard them? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the reason, arguably, that George included Cersei in A Feast for Crows and not only included Cersei, but introduced this idea of the Valonqar prophecy and all that, which mm-hmm. we'd never heard of before. But it's it's to give us this alternate perspective on our one of our actual protagonists. You know, I mean, like it or not, our, pro, our real protagonists are basically the big five, like John, Danny, Bran, Tyrion, Sansa, Arya. Mm-hmm. Um and everyone else is there to uh, give us a, a different lens through which to look at these big five. And yeah, Cersei going nuts because of a prophecy and it, how general it is and vague. And she's trying to make it come true or, you know, trying to like avoid it. Yeah. For, yeah. Um, absolutely. is like a cautionary tale for for Daenerys um, and is meant to give us pause and think like, oh. Yeah, Danny, you're really, you're really going down a Cersei road here. <laughs> Except she never thinks they're wrong. She never goes like, huh. She instantly goes like, okay, so which one's which? She believes the undying when they tell her this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something where other characters who hear prophecy about them or have been cautioned against it. Like in particular, John has been told over and over again that magic and prophecy are bad things that yeah. don't listen to them. And mm-hmm. Danny's not getting that. Instead, she's embracing it. And that that's may true. Be one of kind of her downfalls, which connects to Valyria, where their downfall was their magic and their reliance yep. on it. And Danny's unfortunately going towards her own doom in like in like a metaphorical sense, but like in a real one where she she is going to be a tragic heroine, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No, I th- I think that's a good point. The um yeah, the way like we like we talked about earlier, like the way she's a a believing herself to be a traditional fantasy protagonist um, <laughs> that she can find the prophecy that says that she's the chosen one. And she's trying to find it real hard. And yeah. um, at that point, then something weird happens where Danny gets kind of frustrated at the vagueness of these things. And she's like, give me information, like give me something real. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden out of the blue Merc, all these visions start flashing in front of her. And 
a lot of them have been kind of decoded, I think, correctly, that George was gardening at the beginning and then worked backwards to make out what they were. But in order, they're Viserys dying, Rago, um, if he had lived, mm-hmm. which is very strange from a different timeline, Rago, mm-hmm. uh, a blue-eyed king who casts no shadow with the red sword. Most people think that's Stannis. Mm-hmm. Um, he's known to have blue eyes. Uh, mm-hmm. Cloth dragging a cheering crowd that most people think that's Aegon, the fake one. Aegon yeah. the seventh. Sixth. Sixth. Aegon the sixth. Because John will be Aegon the seventh. Yeah. That's right. Uh, a stone beast flying from a smoking tower, breathing shadows. Nobody knows what that one is. That yeah. one's very ambiguous. Yeah. Um, Danny's silver horse striding to a stream. I think that's supposed to foreshadow her going into the Dothraki Sea with her unfortunate dysentery. Mm. Like mm. that's supposed to be her walking through the grass, I guess. Because that, 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 that scene does happen to her personally. That could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also, isn't that her wedding night though? Is, is her. It could be. It's could go either way who the yeah hell yeah uh-huh. um there's a white lion in the grass and this is one thing they cut out of the show she wears a giant white lion pelt yeah and she looks badass yeah it's also Tyrion, arguably because mm-hmm. um he's got that really pale blonde hair um mm-hmm. yeah there's a uh, a man being dragged behind horses to his death which is the wine cellar that's coming yeah. up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no no that already happened Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Book one. Yeah. Long um, ago. And there's the very curious one, which I talked about at the beginning, and we'll get to, I think we'll finish with this because of Porkwine's mm-hmm. amazing essay on it today. Yes. The corpse on the prow of a ship with bright eyes and gray lips. Most people assume that's Griar Greyjoy, and I would yeah. agree. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and then the final one, tying back to the song of ice and fire, the blue flower and a chink in the wall of ice, which most people believe, and I think correctly. That is supposed to be Jon Snow with Lyanna's favorite flower coming mm-hmm. out of the wall of ice. where Filling is. the air with sme- with sweetness as well, right? right? Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, the interesting, you know, if you want to get all kind of numerological on these, there's nine of these visions. Um, there are nine total, like if you do the, you know, three fires, three mounts mm-hmm. and three treasons, that's nine things as well. So I th- people have tried to slot them in to see if they all kind of fit. I don't think they do. Not but really. what's, what is interesting, I think, is the way you can kind of find a pattern in the alternation here where mm-hmm. it has a uh, Viserys dying and then yes. a possible great king and then Rhaegar dying and then a oh, possible great king. Rhaegar dying too. That was in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Rhaegar dying after Rhaegar's uh Rego. yeah yeah you see him uh getting his mm-hmm. chest crushed in and him saying what george has confirmed is liana's name as he dies Liana. yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah Sorry, i fucked up your flow no you're fine um but so you've got viserys's death Rego's a great king's great king and conqueror's possible future you've got Rhaegar's death and then stannis's possible future like great king and conqueror mm-hmm. you've got Aegon the sixth, not his death, but you've got him winning this interesting image. Yeah. And then following that, you have a stone beast flying from a smoking tower, breathing shadows. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, <laughs> it's really weird the way that works. But if, if I can riff on the destruction of King's Landing in the show a little, um, the stone beast flying from a smoking tower, breathing shadows could absolutely be Drogon laying waste to King's Landing, I think. Yeah. Um, the stone, the dragons wake from stone. That's Danny's. I mean, that's what Melisandre is trying to do, yes. but it's what Danny actually does in book one. She wakes the dragons from stone. Yes. And I think that is what, you know, that's what we're supposed to see as like 
you know, the dramatic irony in what Mel is trying to do is that it's already happened and she had no control over it. Um, um no. And the, yeah. the other weird thing is the dragons, uh, all their fire colors are different. I don't think is Drogon's not black. Is it? Balerion's was Balerion's was black. I don't remember. I think Drogon's might just be straight up where's, fire, but I want to Mallory. Mallory yeah, this. That's right. Yeah. 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 Mallory, are you in the chat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I've seen her. Yeah. Um, uh, he shoots his flame is black fire shot with red. So I guess that could be shadows if you wanted it to be breathing shadows. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just, I think there's, that could be this, the, yeah, the destruction of King's landing. Definitely. Right. And the destruction of King's landing, um, with regard to the vision that just came before it of Aegon the sixth, mm-hmm. uh, the cloth dragon and the cheering crowd. Cause you have the cloth dragon, uh, superimposed against the stone beast like the real dragon (laughs) um yeah and uh, yeah so i don't know i think there's some patterns you can look for there and then there's the the next three that come after that which are her silver horse the white lion in the grass and the man dragged behind the horses are kind of her arc in a game of thrones you know um i i think that it traces that and then yeah just before we get to Jon Snow's sweet ass smelling armpits, You're we get fucking to, Greyjoy. Yeah, what the what the fuck is up with that? Um, yeah, corpse on the prow of a ship, bright eyes, gray lips. Um, is a black bright eye. Yeah, bright and shining with malice. Yeah. Um, he's uh, a corpse on the prow of a ship is an interesting. Um, if I remember right, isn't uh the the ghost of high heart when she has the vision of Balon's death, isn't a corpse standing on the bridge. Uh, or am I, am I totally conflating that? I'm going to have to look that up. I, you're going to have to look that up. I don't remember, but uh, it could also be Aaron Greyjoy, where this does yes. actually happen to him. Yep. Um, and you In know, the, the gray thing. lips. Yeah. The gray lips would suggest, I mean, I mean, who knows if George had thought of Euron hijacking the warlocks yet, but, um, um yeah. Interesting uh, from Leaf Underhill. They think it may be John Con that it's the grayscale. I think it's I think it's more likely to be one of the Greyjoys because uh, we're going to talk about this in a, I think a few minutes to to round out the stream. But mm-hmm. this is heavily about Euron as well, which is not obvious. I think on the first reading, and mm-hmm. uh, poor Quentin made a great argument in his uh, essay today talking about how Euron has been showing up almost since the beginning but in ways you didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, so the ghost of high art thing that I was conflating there, it's the drowned crow on the shoulder of the man Ah. with no face. Mm -hmm. And so I I think that the, you know, the idea that he's a drowned man, that he's, he's a corpse, like he's dead and he's come to life. Like it is the gray King, isn't it? Amanda coming through with the gray King. It absolutely is. You had that comment. (laughs) No, I mean, it is Euron is um yeah the gray lips thing i i think is just an evocation of uh gray joy but also yeah, could be a probably. vision of of um his blue lips his yeah like his his blue and bruised lips yeah because yeah. he wants to bring about like the eldritch apocalypse at which point there would be no light so his blue lips will probably look gray if you wanted to <laughs> be really weird about it it's probably he just hadn't decided that Euron had blue lips at that point that's kind of what i'm uh yeah that's kind of what i'm wondering yeah yeah um yeah and then john of course right and then john is the last vision for sure right Linking because he's the one who kills her. john 
Yeah. Um, but anyway, I mean, so I, th- I think those, that's a way to kind of group those, you know, break them up a little bit in that the last two, uh, kind of are call and response to each other. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, that you have these back and forth with a death, a, a Targaryen, Tar- a Targaryen death, a potential king, a Targaryen death, a potential king, a Targaryen uh, victory, and then Danny destroying that, and then you have her Game of Thrones arc, and then you have these two paired figures, the corpse and the blue flower, um, two probable kings as well. Yeah, and and two people who will go head to head around Daenerys, I think. Um, mm. Even if maybe not direct, like I don't know if John will duel Euron necessarily, or whatever, but just that, like you know. Um, they they will be competing in some way for Daenerys and the power that she has. Um, now, with all that being said about Euron, I think Amanda makes a really good point in chat mm. um, that, you know, the corpse at the prow of the ship smiles sadly, which really is not a Euron thing. No. Um, Euron cackles and, you know, chortles and sneers and all that kind of stuff, but he doesn't really smile sadly. No. Um, I, I go back and forth on that, that part of me feels like there's some of the, uh, uh, gardener retcon tendencies yeah, here where probably. George had never written Euron before and didn't know anything about him. So if he's trying to depict a character he's never written, he might write that and then later throw it out. With that being said, I don't, I don't think that that, I'm I'm not I'm not saying that like oh it's Euron and everyone else is wrong like I, I think I think it's worth thinking <laughs> yeah. about why there is that inc- incongruity there yeah for sure it could also be Aaron Greyjoy like, he fits really well in the Forsaken chapter that, that ba- this is basically what happens to him mm-hmm. um, but like you were talking about with a high magical character that hasn't appeared yet and George writing backwards to it that happens with Bloodraven where mm-hmm. the early descriptions of him. And in particular, he doesn't show up in the Hedge Knight at all when he definitely should have based on his, uh, his position in the, in the kingdom at that time, he's such a looming figure. So he had to do some retcons as he introduced these characters later after hyping them up. He didn't even know who blood Raven was for a while. There's the, he just knew he was basically just a Targaryen in a tree later yep. figured out he was a black wood later figured out he was a child of Aegon the fourth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Like when, when the three eyed Raven is three eyed crow is popping up in brands, brand three, a game of Thrones, like George didn't know that that was Brendan rivers who loved share a sea star and was yeah. the child of, yeah. Like he didn't know all that shit. He just, he just knew like vaguely. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of I th- actually I think that's kind of a fitting way to wrap up a house of the undying discussion <laughs> is that, you know, when we talk about like visions and stuff in the books, we have to marry that with the idea that George, he knows where he's going, but also these little details and things sometimes are going to be different. Like we talked about with Rob presiding over the feast of corpses. Um, maybe that's a, a a metaphor maybe it's george realizing when he's writing book three that rob isn't going to preside over the feast and that's fine like it's okay to have that incongruity there so i i, I don't know yeah i, I think that kind of has to be kept in mind when we talk about the, the house of the undying visions I, I think that yeah that applies to all of them where they're going to mean something eventually but i would have a very hard time predicting them <laughs> exactly what they're going to be mm-hmm. um and 
Well, let, let's wrap up with some Euron Greyjoy talk because okay. he is, I would say, well, the, the house itself is the antagonist of this entire story. The house of the Undying, the Palace of Dust, mm-hmm. where it is, it very much wants to take Danny. Oh, we didn't even get to this part. The Undying then attack her and try and eat her. Oh, yeah. Drogon, yeah. they lick her eyeball with the <laughs> lick her eyeball. They bite her and bite her neck. Yeah. Go after her and mm-hmm. storage like nipples for some reason. And then Drogon freaks out, burns the heart. They fall to pieces. She runs out and all the doors are gone, meaning that maybe that's the true house of the undying that the shady evening has worn off and there never were any doors. It was all in her head. Yeah, that could be true. Um, runs outside. Pyatt pre freaks out. House burns down. He hops. But I think the more important yeah. part is like you were talking about earlier. They they were vampiric. They were cannibalistic. They were going to sacrifice her on that table and somehow fuel themselves. It was mm-hmm. all an elaborate trap to get her to stay, which they claim they've been setting up for a thousand years. That they sent the comet. That they sent the comet in order to tra- yeah. in order to attract her there. Yeah, and that's that is very strange. On the whole, I mean, we're not going to get into this. Who are the undying? Where'd they come from? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The important part is that they show her extreme malice and everything except Rhaegar's vision wants her to stay is trying to pull her into the house and have her mm-hmm. basically stay there forever. They, they, they put this in the show where they actually have Pyapri stay. Basically, you'll stay here forever. Essentially, yep. their power source. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They made it very explicit in the show. Um, yeah, that that whole thing about like their master plan to capture her because she is this promised figure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think everything we learned, everything we learned later uh, about like how unreliable prophecy and magic is, like when we see it through Melisandre's eyes and all that. Um, we shouldn't take the undying at their word that Daenerys was the person that they were waiting a thousand years for. Yeah. Like if they were waiting a thousand years to kidnap and eat somebody, it's entirely possible. They still got the wrong person, even though they picked this magical, like this person who hatched three dragons, like mm-hmm. it, uh, they, <laughs> they were trying to kidnap Bran and instead they kidnapped a woman <laughs> with flamethrower beasts. Like, yeah, she, um, I mean, yeah their plan failed. They waited yeah. a thousand years and they said, uh-huh. You can bring the dragon, I guess. Yeah. Oh Oops. my God, man. Fuck that one up. Yeah. Even though oh. they had this grandmaster plan. And mm-hmm. I think this links back with Euron because a lot of people think that his master plan is Danny as well, mm-hmm. that he's going to try and claim the dragons, which he says as well. He says, yeah. he says the Victorian, go get my wife, bring her to me. He mm-hmm. has dragon binder. He's been to Valyria. And also um, he evokes the house of the undying physically. He has the the shining bright eyes, which which show up in the the vision of the corpse on the thing. He has the blue lips of a warlock because he cap he claims he captured them and has been binging shade the evening. But we note that after one time was not enough for Danny to get fully blue lips. So yep. Yarn may be lying about that. He may be drinking it all this time. Um, yeah, I mean he's, he he found a cask or something with them, right? Yeah. Like, and yeah, yeah. That may not be enough considering those guys have been drinking it forever and their blue and then their lips look the same. Yeah. Um, he also um, he has the things that the undying promised her. She the, he has the magic weapon. He has the magic armor. He has wisdom. He apparently thinks he can maybe talk to dragons through the horn. It's mm-hmm. like the house of the undying after she burned it to the ground, came back to life through Euron, and it's still coming for her as this like dark destiny. 
Absolutely. Yes. 100%. I mean, everyone should go read Emmett's essay, by the way, yes. like everyone should go read poor Quentin's essay on this, but yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're talking about people who think they're fantasy heroes. I mean, you're on, I don't know if he thinks he's a hero. Uh, I feel like he's pretty comfortable in his villainy, but like, yeah, he absolutely believe, believes he's a destined figure. Um, that, and, and he's putting on, like you said, all the trappings of that, the magic armor, the horn, the, the lips of a warlock and the magic eye and the, you know, all of these things, um, all these pieces. He's like, um, if you take Bran and Danny and their shadow versions of them and maybe John too, because he's, he's a bit yeah. of a warrior. Um, and he's, he's the shadow of Bran and John and Daenerys. And absolutely you're right that like the warlocks, and the House of the Undying are kind of born again through him. You know, they 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 leave Karth trying to get revenge on Danny. It doesn't come in the form maybe that they thought it would, but they absolutely have ended up empowering uh, Euron in a, in a in a new and fun way. Yeah, he's um, supposed to be like a murdering creep and a pirate, and he yep. apparently um, has taken a, a whole nother level. There's also the uh, oh, hand. Let me grab this. There's also yeah. the fan theory that Ergon uh Nightwalker Arithon, um, yeah. mm-hmm. who's apparently from Karth and has um a glass candle, most people think that is actually Euron, that um he is that is that is his fake Karthian name. Right. Basically. Yeah, that's because his alias. He, uh, he was it Ergon uh Arithon. <laughs> Arithon, I'm sorry, it says Ergon. Uh Arithon, uh bad brother. That's mm-hmm. what's referencing. Mm-hmm. And he is the bad brother in this scenario. Yeah. Yeah, the Urathon, the name only shows up one other time in the series, and it's this very specific historical Greyjoy figure um, who, who happens to like him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, who happens to look just like him. Um, thank you, Bernie. I hear. Can you put that one on the screen? Uh, oh, I heard Euron has a magic brown eye. I have to wait for that one to show up. There we go. Okay, and then it's off. <laughs> thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Um, no, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely. I feel like I'm 75% in on the earth on Nightwalker. Theory, it's it's you know? real, I think it's pretty like, well there. It just needs more yeah, evidence. Yeah. Like, the, the naming conventions really good. The connections with the story is really good. The fact that Euron isn't interested in magic the whole time and that he probably mm-hmm. has been in the car. If that makes sense yep. that he would take up a fake identity to sneak into a city. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I yeah, I, I think it does make a lot of sense, and and that he has these glass candles and has already been tapping into magic in a, in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, to to me that that definitely vibes, and it vibes with what we see of Euron as he becomes as he walks onto the page later. Um, walks on the page and makes a beeline for Danny. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's um and as Emmett said in his awesome essay, um, if somebody has the link for that, if they could drop that in the chat so people oh, yeah, can read me, it, I think um, I can do that. But it's really interesting just how much all of his goals line up with the undying. Like, yeah, not, not necessarily the warlocks, not Piat Pri, but the actual undying that they want to take Danny's power and cannibalize it for themselves, that they want to entrap her with um, with promises of wisdom and amazing things. And she actually asked them for the ability to live forever. Euron is such a Lovecraftian character, a mm-hmm. big part of Lovecraft is all these people that give themselves over to the old ones or the great ones or whatever, or the creatures from outer space do so pretty much under the idea that they're going to live forever somehow. 
So it's not Mm -hmm. inconceivable that Euron could make the same kind of promise. They seem one-to-one. It's like the building got up and became a person, I would say. It's that kind of evil. Yeah. No, I I think, uh, yeah, that's a great connection. Yeah. Euron is, is definitely... He's got the he's got that spirit, the house of the undying in him. And uh, love of prophecy. Yeah, right. He takes it seriously. He's a big nerd. And uh he thinks that he is he thinks he's hot stuff. <laughs> basically. Uh, so I think we we've been about two hours on the house of the undying on Halloween. That's right. Um Yee-hee. do you guys have any last questions you want to throw in the chat? I'm gonna grab mm-hmm. uh, maybe one more from one or two more from our um our document because i think we haven't gotten this some and then i yeah. think we will call the night but yeah every bit as creepy as the night fort even creepier i would say because i would say the undying the house of the undying is basically the night fort as it's described in legends right like if it was actually still inhabited it would i think it would be almost exactly the house of the undying with all the crazy things that happen there and yeah. the, uh, the murders and the people going missing the blue heart to the weirwood face yeah i think it's all one-to-one i think they're basically the same kind of ancient horrible building for sure yeah yeah um, an ancient winchester house yeah ancient winchester house <laughs> and upgrade out of lovecraft um yeah. so one hearing from uh one of my patrons aaron uh she's actually in the chat as well in conjunction with your last video heron do you think Danny released some of the, a bunch of the stored magic into the world when she burned the house of the undying? And that's why the glass candles are burning and the house of earth on Nightwalker They've not burned in a hundred years. Were the undying hoarding it to keep them alive? Definitely. I think that's absolutely something that's happening. Karth, Ashai, um, the, the wall, Valyria, the Roinar, they seem to be essentially accumulating magic and holding it for themselves and eventually destroying themselves. Like Karth used to not be surrounded by a desert and the red waste. There were cities mm-hmm. there. The yeah. outside of the Carthian walls show lush forests that aren't there anymore. So the undying are their cannibalistic nature is kind of what's true about magic in George's world that in order to have power, you have to take it from something mm-hmm. and it's usually other people, but it can be the natural world. So by killing the undying, even though they seem to have come back to life in Euron, Again, because they're undying. Duh. Yep. Well, yeah. amazing connection by Matt there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say that the less magic users there are, like the undying in the world, the more likely it is to go back to what it used to be. Mm. Oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Right. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's an interesting connection, too, to be drawn with the undying and the alchemist guild in the same book, mm. um, where their power... Um, you know, the undying are coming are, are after Danny because they want to uh, suck her magic blood and like, you know, all that kind of stuff um, that really wonderful things. Um, but it's her power. Like it, it's the power of prophecy and all that kind of stuff that, that they're looking after, looking for. And the alchemist skilled is regaining their magic power to make wildfire somehow as well, like at the same time. Um, and they are. Uh, like tapping into this new vein of magic that, that Daenerys is definitely, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it's like if, if the magic was like, uh, bottled up inside of a, a large bottle, Danny like shook it up and like flicked the cap off mm-hmm. and then like the undying are getting like garbled in the face and like yeah. the, the alchemist guild or I, I yeah, I, I think totally it's, it's Daenerys 
is somehow unlocking this magic as she goes along. Yeah, they seem to feed directly on magic, which is what the heart seems to be doing. So if she is the most magical character, then she probably is like, uh, there's a phrase from the books where it's like, or no, I think it's from Lovecraft, like one light in the darkness where she is a blaze and the rest of the magical world all of a sudden snap to look at her. Like mm-hmm. what's that over there? And they're all right. trying to get it. You're on yep. the undying, the alchemists, seemingly maybe even the faceless men, the weirwood trees, they all notice she's back that she's yep. brought the dragons back. So I think those two work very well together with that video. Yeah. Backstreet's back. Yeah. All right. Um, did you want to grab one more question or do you think you, are you ready to hit the, well, in the interest of not uh, losing power and, and like destroying my computer, we should probably start wrapping up. All right. Um, yeah. Sounds good to me. Um, this, is, <laughs> this has been the House of the Undying. I, th- I Honestly, I didn't know. I didn't think going into this think there would be this much to talk about with it, where it seems like the fandom has kind of wrapped it up where they they figured out the clues where they're going what are the important parts but you keep going through it and it's much like george's typical style it's multi-layered there's more refined there's more connections there's hints to things that he used later and kind of like almost like the waymar chapter that these are similar length and i would say they're similar density in terms of very important chapters but it takes a little while to get all of them to come through yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like everyone, I think, you know, everyone remembers the house, the undying chapter after they read it, they're like, Oh yeah, that was, the, that was a crazy one with the visions. And then it does get a lot of attention, like talking about the visions and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot to tap into aside from just like, Oh, who are the three treasons going to be? Who are the, like, why the undying are seeing these things, you know, prophecy and magic are never objective in a song of ice and fire. It's never just someone getting to see something because like, why not? Like she sees Ares Targaryen with this objective security camera footage view, but why, like, why is she being shown that? Is it being pulled out of her brain? Like, and I think the great thing about the story is it rewards those questions. Like Mm -hmm. if you ask why there's actually, you can scratch the surface and there's something there. So yeah. House of the Undying chapter is the gift that keeps on giving. Not a gift that I think most people would go to as like, oh my god, oh another, sure, sure, Aaron, let's do it. Taking a shot of the House of the Undying vision. Don't worry, it's not very alcoholic. It's a weak mixed drink. It's fine. <laughs> good. All right, here we go. Bon chance. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Gonna stop my ears and my eyes. Um, <laughs> sweet, and I think sweet mother's a- milk. I think this works pretty well because you said Nauticast is getting to this one soon. Well, yeah. So they just did Danny one. So it'll be about a year and a half. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, I I will also shout out. I mean, this is like two Emmett things we've shouted out. But what can I say? He's he's Emmett. He's really good. Um, But they did just do their episode with Mighty Isabel talking about Danny one. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think that it, it really bears comparing Danny one to whatever this is, Danny four or whatever mm-hmm. that her first and her house of the undying chapter have a lot in conversation. So yeah, There's a lot of different yeah. ways to take this chapter. I mean, we mm-hmm. looked at it really from the spooky horror, Lovecraft, Ooh. the yeah. shining, that kind of angle. And like looking at the ghosts and what they're doing, what does the house want and that kind of stuff. But 
don't stop there. This this is this is a, a very rewarding chapter if you want to give it a shot. Definitely. Definitely. Oof. All right. So I think we are just about to wrap up. Um, as usual, thank you guys for showing up. Got over a hundred tonight on Halloween night. That was Hell pretty yeah. cool. Thanks for everybody that, uh, that came, uh, gave um, super chat money. Tip of the cap again to my lovely patrons who submitted uh, awesome questions for us to talk about, including, uh, let's see here, Stephen, Aaron, Lady Shar, and Zombie Jesus. Um, if you want to support me on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Joe Magician, sign up there, all sorts of different rewards for stuff uh, for different levels. Um, Next video, um, I'm going to keep going with um, this kind of vein. I'm going to be talking the next one. I'm going to call it, I think, uh, Westerosi Horror Story Dragonstone. To, uh, take on American Horror Story. I'm going to be talking about Andrew Farman's Bloody Rampage. Not really oh, bloody. He yeah. poisoned everybody in fire and blood on Dragonstone trying to get revenge on Reyna or something like that. Yeah. I'm going to take a hard look at what's going on with Andrew Farman. And maybe, maybe he's not the one that's responsible for this. Maybe there's somebody else that pushed him. Some reason wanted the island of Dragonstone poison, in particular Reyna. Mm. So we'll see about that one. It'll be a fun one. Um, I th- I'm also I might do a, a news video about the prequels and stuff like that. Yeah, I might do that like in the next couple of days. Maybe for monthly we were talking about doing it. Maybe next week or something like that. Mm-hmm. After mm-hmm. Um, more information comes out, new information is coming out all the time. George just dropped a blog post. Yeah, it's it's definitely an exciting time. Uh, we will all take a shot of shade of the evening and try to see what's <laughs> going to happen with the with the House of the Dragon prequel, which is of course pronounced Hot D. Um, hot D. That's right. Yeah. The hot D. Hot D. Yeah. Well, thank you oh. for having me on as always. Wait, why do I still have Aaron's thing? It's been a joy. I I enjoyed having it on the screen. I thought it fit the tone very nicely. Oh, but, uh, okay. No, but thank you. Seriously. Uh, this was this was a blast. I can't think of a better way to spend Halloween than to get spooked talking <laughs> about spooky asswaff <laughs> chapters. The crazy haunted houses of Westeros. There's more. We only covered yeah. two so far. We've got There's, some years ahead of us on this yeah. uh, tradition. George loves haunted houses. He loves haunted castles. Mm-hmm. There'll always be more. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Uh, enjoy your candy that you're going to steal from your kids like I know you're going to. And good night. Peace out.